house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. I strongly advise you to abort the mission. It's become far too dangerous. You must turn back. There is no turning back! I stay here and struggle to provide for the children while you wander the jungle. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't even care about going home. You only care about your lost city. This search for Zed, I can no longer bear the cost. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast constantly asking, where's Dorinda? Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my hidden treasure, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Oh, thank you. The Garys are swarming this episode like a bunch of piranhas, (laughs) ready to, I don't know, tell us that we spoiled um, some movie that is coming out for them. Listen, it's fine. Chris, are you ready to pronounce the final letter of the alphabet the way that uh, crown loyalists do? The Queen's English. The um, Queen's <laughs> English, indeed. The Lost City of Zed. I Listen, feel... I, I grew a, a sizable beard for this episode. I will be speaking only in mumble. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect tribute to Robert Pattinson, which we'll get into i want to introduce our guest before we get into anything uh, mat- uh any material conversation about this movie because uh she's the reason why we're talking about this movie we have a four-time guest chris on this episode a thanksgiving tradition like no other this episode is coming out in thanksgiving week she is the awards editor at vanity fair she is the co-host of the little gold men podcast our great friend, uh, who I saw Lost City of Zed with way, way, way back in 20, I think we did see it in 2017. I don't 2017, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Katie Is Rich, this... welcome back to this Oscar Buzz. Hi. Hi. Uh, we, I should, you should have said fighting in the war room, uh, because anytime oh any I'm of so us sorry. go on other podcasts, like David Ehrlich is n- notorious for going on blank check and never mentioning that he has his own podcast. So <laughs> I am not making that mistake because we are on the fighting in the war room network. So like really that's my shame <laughs> as well. True. So truly, no homerism here. Uh, we love all of you over there. So, um, Katie, Thanksgiving you're- tradition. A tradition yes. unlike any other. I knew that if I made that reference, Joe Reed Sportsy would understand. It's um, a master's reference. I get yes, it. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Everyone thinks of Thanksgiving and think of the master's. Absolutely. Obviously. 100%. <laughs> um, your fourth It film... wouldn't be Thanksgiving if people weren't fighting, though. <laughs> That's and, true. Wait a minute. I have a bone to pick. Is this just like secret stealth? Like us as friends getting together, but like Joe and Katie being like, 
Yeah, but we saw this movie together. Well, here's the thing. What's funny is Katie and I saw this movie together, and we also saw James Gray's new movie, Armageddon Time, together. We did. I did not put that together. Yeah, we're James Gray friends now. Yeah. 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 Who did I see The Immigrant with? I don't have the first clue. Well, I missed, because I missed Tiff this year, I missed my chance to see movies with Chris File as God intended. So we have to wait one more year. Toronto next year. Yep. Um. How does The Lost City of Zed compare, Katie, to Pan or About Time or Money Monster? And Lord knows I love About Time, but I know that like this movie probably ranks quite a bit above those three for you. Yeah, I love going back over that. Like I chose Pan because it's a movie that I wanted to come and defend, and I feel like I couldn't quite defend the way that I thought it right. would. And then About Time was kind of a like let's come in and fight about it. Money Monster was a real curveball, which I enjoyed immensely. Um, But yeah, Lost City of Zed, which I'm going to have to get used to. I mean, I think it honestly happened because of your diabolical quiz that I'm sure that we'll get to where you're thinking about the interchangeable hunks of the mid 2000s, of the mid 2010s, and you get to Charlie Hunnam really fast. Well, we Um, did. Yeah. Our our podcast relationship started off with a bang with the Charlie Hunnam or Garrett (laughs) Hedlund quiz. So it does feel a little bit full circle. I know we got it. Yeah. We have a cycle to break on for next year's thing. Thanksgiving, I guess. For a lot um, of people. Newborn Garys, go back and listen to the pan episode <laughs> right now. It's a good one. It's a time. Yeah, this, yeah the, the Easter eggs really run deep uh, on that. Um, yeah, Lost City of Zed looms very large. It's because like I knew that I had seen a movie at BAM with you, Joe, but th- this movie, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, came out when my older son was about eight months old. And so all of my memories in that period yeah. are fuzzy to non-existent. And it's yeah. right before I left New York, which is like a whole other set of things. So it has, it's been a very specific touchstone in my memory for all of those things. And I ha- I'd watched some of it in bits. It's on Prime Video, which I assume is how we all watched it. So it's very easy yep. to just kind of pick back up. Yep. Um, so I had watched it in pieces, but I had not like sat down and watched it again um, since then. And, um, you know, it's... <laughs> It deserves its large looming place in my mind. Um, yeah. So I'm really glad I got to go back to it. This movie being a 2017 movie, and in some of the research, I sort of came across other 2017 movies. And I uh, was reminded of Wonder Woman, which is another movie that we saw together, which was yeah. like the last movie I saw with you before you moved away. No, or, I had already moved because that moved was a fall movie. Right. Yeah. No, it was a, it was early summer. I had moved and I had came back That's really quickly it. after. Yeah. That's what it was. And That's I had really just funny. like, I hadn't even had time uh, to miss you yet and you were already back yeah and I was, and I was like, already Katie's back I came back, back. Oh I came back for, for David Ehrlich's wedding mentioning him twice on a single podcast right. but wow. um, yeah and then we probably waited until uh, good old Armageddon time or no Tar we saw Tar together yes yes, yes what yes, a time right. well also we did see like a sprinkling of uh, TIFF movies in between yes that's true too, so. you guys um, saw um, Nightmare Alley together right yep, oh, saw yeah Nightmare I remember Alley together. the group chat that night and I was like eh. They got to see this movie. Night, that I, was, you know, I I was never a big baby about seeing a movie with a mask on, but Nightmare Alley was a real time where I was like, I cannot wait to leave this room and claw this mask off my face. Like, I want to just die rather than also, sit in this aisle and I have had second. like universally good experiences with the good people at Film Society of Lincoln Center and the people yes, who run the New York Film Festival. Whoever was running the like uh, security check in line at the Nightmare Alley screening hated me. And was giving me such a hard time about, like, 
did I get, did I, like, the one person had already scanned me and sent me through, and then I started moving, and he hadn't seen me go through, so he was like, you gotta come here, and I'm like, but she already got me, and I started, like, <laughs> like raising my voice with this person in front of, like, people in tuxedos. It was very, very strange. <laughs> very, very strange. And then the movie you were doing it all for was Nightmare Alley. For Nightmare Alley, which I did not care for, so, yeah. Best picture I mean, who would though. expect a Kirstie Alley biopic to be any good? Um, uh, speaking of the good people of Film Society, Society of Lincoln Center, yes. we're talking about a New York Film Festival world premiere. It's true. Yes, 2016. The era of New York Film Festival world premieres that has passed now. They don't really seem to care about getting the world premieres as much. Although I will say, this year's New York Film Festival was like pretty stacked. But you're right, Like without having to sort of worry about what was going to be a premiere or not, they still got you know, movies that I wasn't able to see at Toronto. They still got, um, you know, like White Noise and Armageddon Time. And well, they had She Said Until. Those were their two big exclusives. Yes, yes. Um, but Which all I still of their, have like, yet their, to see. Their opening night centerpiece and closing night were all... Um, from other festivals, which is, right. yeah, but, uh, what, as what you were saying, Chris, like, they don't seem to care as much about having exclusive. Yeah. But the thing that I was trying to figure out looking into this episode was like, it was closing at a New York Film Festival. When that was announced, did we know it was already going to be a spring movie? Like, it sort of seemed like we did. It didn't have Maybe. distribution when it was announced because I don't think Amazon picked this movie up until it was either right before it premiered or right after it premiered. Huh, okay. Yeah. So, like, at that point, it seems like it's unlikely that it's going to be in the fall. Well, and I think also... before New York. It yeah, was also one late. of those movies where you saw it and you were like, this is going to take some, like, some work to some get doing. people. Yeah. Because, like, it's a movie that's, like, I think it's very good. Katie, I know you love it. Chris, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on it as well. But, like, I think even with the people who love it, there was a recognition that, like, this is the thinker, you know what I mean? This is going to this is going to be one that maybe you have to really work with a little bit. And it didn't really have people sort of streaming out with like very concise uh, you know, ways to sum up the movie and its appeal and how it would appeal to someone like an Oscar voter. Which is a classic I mean, James Gray problem as I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it also is one of those like pre-production Oscar buzz type of movies that we've talked about before in the past because obviously Brad Pitt was uh, originally attached to this movie mm-hmm. for quite some time uh, before it was ultimately Charlie Hunnam uh, who I uh, w- we'll get into it. I think he's fantastic in this movie. Um, this yeah. was the first movie after this was the first James Gray movie since Little Odessa that didn't have Joaquin Phoenix as its star. So this was sort of like a step outside of that comfort zone for him as well. Do you think, think there was, was, was Joaquin ever supposed to star in this? I not cannot that I imagine that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe well, James Gray knew well enough that that was not a good idea. Well, part of me was like, maybe like James had some hard feelings about what happened on the Two Lovers press tour, but then he like cast him as the he lead the in immigrant. The Immigrant, which happened yeah. a good deal later than mm-hmm. all of that. So like, if there were hard feelings, they did not 
affect that movie's casting. Tell the Garys about the Two Lovers press tour because that is only even a vague thing in my mind. Oh my god, are we are we doing this detour already? Let's do this. Let's do this. This detour is the pre- This is the I'm still here. Joaquin oh, Phoenix right. rap right, right, career right, right, press right. tour. Okay, yes. yeah. So you one little piece. I of thought you meant there was like there. drama between them specifically. I think the whole time that was unfolding, everyone kept looking at James Gray to be like, "What the fuck is going on?" And he He's was very diplomatic about it. Then. So yeah. I've never seen the documentary. I'm still here, but I am in it as far as I know, because (laughs) I was doing roundtable interviews for Two Lovers when that movie came out, and Joaquin Phoenix was there, and Casey Affleck was there with the camera filming the whole damn thing. Uh, and then, like, interviewed us afterwards about, like, why like why do you feel like this is a joke? Like, why don't you believe in this career is happening? Um, and I it I like Casey Affleck now, and it took a long time. Uh, I, held, I held it, and, like, many people don't, and I don't know why I do. Maybe that's a whole sidebar, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Still never saw the movie, but love two lovers. The whole idea of that movie of I'm still here. Um, really, there was nothing in that premise that made me want to. And like, I took a long time to like Joaquin Phoenix. Like, mm-hmm. I, it was genuine. Generally, like, come on, come on was was kind of a sea change for me. Although I also went back and I watched Gladiator and he was the thing that I liked best about watching Gladiator back again. He's really good in Gladiator. Um, But he's somebody who I always found very self-indulgent, very self-serious. The whole thing about like, you know, anybody who gets on a high horse about like awards or bullshit and whatever, and then yet shows up to every single award show or whatever, like I'm always going to be a little bit annoyed. He always felt very hammy to me. I didn't really like him in the master and all this sort of stuff. So like the prospect of I'm still here was like, Oh, this is all the worst things about this (laughs) self-indulgent actor. I just have absolutely no. And the idea that also, and like, I wasn't, I didn't really get James Gray, maybe until this movie, too. There's still a lot of movies Mm. that I haven't seen, but, like, The Yards, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, But I still felt very bad for James Gray, that, like, he's got this movie, he obviously put a lot of effort into it. His movies need all of the promotional help that they can get, because they struggle to find audiences beyond sort of like this like small band of very loyal critics who really love him and to have that press tour sort of and hijacked <laughs> in this really <laughs> sort of like look at me kind of way look at yes. me but not about the movie entirely yeah. like yep uh, that that really turned me off yeah in general my so. not to delve too deep into my past as a journalist in new york who was doing press days all the time but one of the first like big interviews i ever did with, was with james gray because i was working at this magazine called film journal international which is for film distributors so it's sent to movie theater owners and so yes. they would do cover stories and they would get great access because they had this direct line to distributors and so we did a cover story on we own the night which i think came out in 2007 someone can fact check me on this and so i go and watch we own the night in a like screening room in the sony screening room all by myself and then immediately after get on the phone with James Gray in like a Sony publicist office and I was 24 I had like no business doing what I was doing and he was so nice to me and so lovely to talk to and I oh. think that made me a fan forever and, and I think his movies oh. are great too but like it was such a good experience for someone who knew nothing that yeah. I have uh, I have treasured it I had that same experience with David Lowry where mm. um and of course like i didn't really start interviewing people as part of my job until like well later so it's not like i was like this like young inexperienced person i was inexperienced with the job of like interviewing you know people well, you were a sensible adult which gave you an advantage i was a sensible me, adult and i did it's not like i 
you know, I liked David Lowry's movies up until that point anyway, but he was so lovely to talk to. And what did you so, interview him for? Um, for, um, um, In the Muddy Saints? No, Robert Redford. Peace Dragon. Oh, um, Peace Dragon. No. Um, oh. Oh, oh, The Bank Old Man and the Gun. Old Man and the Gun. Thank you. Oh, great um, movie. We great need to movie. Talk great movie. movie. That's, that would be a good one for this show. And he was just like, he was really friendly. He knew. Because, of course, the whole objective of that interview was Redford had said the thing about how this was my last movie and then wouldn't talk about it. (laughs) And he knew, David Lowry knew, that I needed to ask about that. And I think a lot of other directors would get sort of sniffy about that and whatever and just be like, you know, sort of stonewall in a very kind of perturbed way. And I think he knew that I needed to ask that question. And he knew that he wasn't going to be able to give, you know, a juicy answer, but he still was able to sort of like talk about it in a way that like was going to give me something to write about. And he was also just like a really cool guy. So like, I, I totally know what that experience is like. Like it really does earn you uh, earn that person like a good deal of leeway. And, that's the and, payola they don't talk about among right. Film you just want like to if you're nice to us, that's all we need to succeed. It's true. Like just treat us like people, and yep. we'll root for you forever. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're probably farther along into this episode than we think. So we should probably do. The, do the fans like the digressions? Like, are we not? Are we God, off track so. in a good way? <laughs> I don't know why they're still listening if they want us to stick on a clear. Path. That's true. What a horrible realization if I found out that they hated the digressions. My God. <laughs> They're um, just skipping, skipping, skipping. <laughs> it's that one Simpsons episode where uh, Mo wants to clean up the bar and Carl's like, but Mo, the dank, you're not going to get rid of the dank, are you? Like, that's how I feel about the, the, the diversions. Yeah. All right. Um, so we should probably do the 60 second plot description at this point, and then it'll allow us to get into the meat and potatoes of this movie, which we like. So, Katie. Have you come prepared? No, I totally forgot this was my job until we were already recording. <laughs> Very good. I feel like I feel like I can do it though. I mean, All right, we'll we're going to be talking about the Lost City of Zed, directed and written by James Gray, starring Charlie Hunnam, not Garrett Hedlund, Sienna Miller, not anyone else, Robert Pattinson, Tom Holland, Angus McFadden. Edward Ashley, Ian McDermott is how I'm going to choose to pronounce that person's name who's been in the most popular movies of all time, and I still don't quite know how to pronounce his last name. Forgive me, uh, your emperorship. Um, <laughs> Clive Francis, Pedro Coelho, Harry Melling, who shows up as the prissiest little shit oh my you've God. ever seen. <laughs> what a thrill that was, realizing <laughs> that was Harry Melling. I like looked it up because I couldn't remember his name, and I was like, he was in Buster Scruggs. Yep. Who was in, like, I, I went down that rabbit hole, and I was yep. very satisfied. Yep. Um, really fantastic. Uh, all right. Premiered at the New York Film Festival on October 15th, 2016, then was released in limited release way, way later on April 14th, 2017, at which point, um, Katie and I saw it at BAM and not too many other people saw it, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, Katie, I have my stopwatch at the ready. Would you like to take a crack at a 60-second plot description of the two-hour and 20-something minutes uh, Lost City of Zed? Decades spanning. I will do my best. All right. And begin. 
Okay, Percy Fawcett is this uh, medium-level British aristocrat. It's the beginning of the 20th century. His father has sullied the family name. He wants to be an explorer. And his wife, Nina, played by Sienna Miller, supports him. Uh, so he's sent off to Bolivia, where there's a bunch of rubber plantations, to draw maps. And he's assisted by Costin, played by Robert Pattinson. But what they discover over the course of the maps in the Bolivian jungle is what might be a city. He discovers pottery, but then there's a jaguar, so they have to leave. He comes back to England, and he's trying to convince people that there's an advanced civilization in the Amazon. Nobody wants to believe him, but there's this one guy who's got a lot of money to fund the trip. So they go back to Bolivia with this guy who sucks at it and ruins their whole trip and they never make it there. So he comes back home again, pissed off. He's going to go back. But then World War I breaks out. So he goes to war, gets blinded, comes back, is dreaming of going back to Amazonia. So he gets it together to go one more time with his teenage-ish son, played by Tom Holland, who uh, he drags into the jungle. They try to find Zed and they are dragged off by some natives. Maybe we don't know what really happened. And then Sienna Miller walks off into a jungle because that's where her heart will be forever because her son and husband are there. Boom, 59.9. Katie Rich <laughs> nailed it. Which Quite major characters plot did I leave out? <laughs> it's a great ending. Let's tell let's talk about oh that god. first. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's a really great ending. We can talk ending. about the ending first. Let's do it. Let's talk about the ending first. You've, you that's where we you left us. Um see, the best work Sienna Miller's ever done in her entire career. Agreed. I will She's say. She's so good in this movie. And just a really haunting way of like you said like just walking off into the jungle because she won't be able to she won't be able to leave that behind she it's at a point where she feel she's been convinced or maybe she's convincing herself that somebody had news from the amazon that they saw uh uh her husband and son living with the natives there and he gave this person the stopwatch that he told um, the geographic society person whose name I can't remember, yeah. uh, not important, Um, that if he sent this watch back, that means that he found the city he was looking for and maybe has decided not to return. And so this is the little uh, shred of hope that she's going to hold on to that allows her to believe that her husband and her son are alive. And it's so, so, so good. And in a movie that's so much about sort of holding this vision of something in your head that you are striving for and that is sort of keeping you, giving your life this purpose, that it's a great note to leave on. The sort of the 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 benefits of that and also the hell of that sort of at the mm-hmm. same time, right? The delusion, the... Yeah. 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 Well, and like the movie hasn't, it's been very realistic for most of the movie, but right before right. that, you get kind of um, Percy and his son like heading off to their desk, and he imagines himself like sitting in the corner of a dark room where it was like the, you know, christening party for his son or whatever. Um, but you're still not prepared for that complete jump into fantasy of her walking away. Um, yeah. And as I said, I saw this when my old, oldest child was so, so young, and I immediately clocked it then as being like, this is what motherhood is. This is where you are where your child is no matter what. Like, you were yeah. going to be walking into that jungle and like the fact that I collected then when I had like a baby as opposed to like a child who like goes to school every day is kind yeah. of amazing but it yeah. still just hits so hard it's incredible like yeah and James Gray does this I was talking to Jordan Hoffman has Jordan been on the show already he hasn't he, we've got to okay. get him on this no, yeah you gotta get him on Jordan this um but we were talking about Armageddon time and how James Gray movies often end with just this knockout shot. Like the end yeah. of The Immigrant is really famous. And Armageddon time has like a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, but I don't think anything tops this movie for like final image. Well, and also like for a movie that could very like for a story that could very easily have been even in its 
even in a very good version of it, been about this sort of male experience of obsession and striving for glory and, you know, sort of making a name for yourself among your peers and whatnot. And yet to not only make a space for the wife uh, character who very easily could have been this, you know, throwaway role, not Mm -hmm. to just make space for it, but for by the end to have her sort of unlock this perspective on the way it ends is pretty cool. I feel like. Yeah. Good writing. It's not even like, she's like the, Oh, well, you know, women, they had minds of their own back then too. And she's not this like anachronistic, like, I'm a woman in charge. She's thing, not a very good see- aeronaut. Is that what you're saying? She's not. Very- <laughs> uh, that is a movie I still haven't seen, but I'm guessing that's the vibe. Because, um, like, she's very aware of what the world is. Like, she knows what her job is. It's not like she's being like, I don't get It's not fair that I can't come. But she has this one moment where she's like, I think I could come. She, like, says it in this, like, total quiet with her husband. And he has just been talking about how, like, well, we could be enlightened and see how there could be a society in the jungle, but he cannot be that enlightened. He's not capable of it. And, like, it just says so much. And Mm -hmm. her personality is so vivid throughout the entire thing where you do want to, like, root for her to succeed, but she doesn't think it'll happen, and you don't think it will, but that's not the point. It's, like, just her being a person, not, like, what she can accomplish within the society. Yeah. Um, This is a movie where... I think it's coming at a really interesting crossroads for almost all of its cast, right? This was kind of Mm -hmm. the first movie for a lot of people where they saw it and were like, oh, Charlie Hunnam's actually good. Mm -hmm. And which is interesting because for me, I was always coming from it as somebody who had watched um, the Judd Apatow series Undeclared on TV for one season. (laughs) And he's actually really funny on that show. And they've never really, his career has never asked him to be funny again. They've, but for a while there, it was just like, just be handsome. And like undeclared also asked him to be handsome. So like they were really, you know, he was walking and chewing gum at the same time. Um, But I think for a while he was sort of, I mean, that's why we played the himbo game, right? Where like he was chalked up as just this pretty face who you would throw into a movie and not really give a whole lot of interesting things to do. And then as a result, people were like, well, he sucks. And (laughs) I feel like this movie for the people who bothered to see it and who appreciated it there, it felt like a come around moment for a lot of people. Yeah. I really didn't know that much about him before. I haven't honestly seen that much he's done since then he was in the original feel- yeah. british queerest folk is the other thing i like, yeah like that in yeah. sense of anarchy i knew yes. were like the things that people knew him from i guess yeah i'm looking at his idb which you told us not to which i'm curious about well why, we've already done <laughs> Hunnam, so i need yeah. i need i just need some of this but yep yeah, he's in pacific rim which i know i saw i don't remember yeah is he the lead in pacific rim he yes. is like the non Andrus yes. elba lead he's, in him pacific and rinko kikuchi are like uh co yeah uh, whatever Kaiju Heroes. jockeys. Yeah, well, I don't yeah. think anyone's that good in Pacific Rim. So, like, no, it, again, it's, it's like not his fault. Um, yeah. But I'm also, I forgot he was in the True History of the Kelly Gang, which was another movie that would be really fun to talk about on the show in terms mm-hmm. of its cast. Um, and I don't remember him being in it, but I bet he's better in it than a lot of other things. He <laughs> shows up. He's a he's a villain, right, Chris? Am I am I wrong? Is his, he a villain? His character name is Sergeant O'Neill, so I'm guessing he's one of the British. <laughs> I, feel guys. Like, Maybe. I feel like I feel like. Uh, I don't what's remember his name? much of that movie. That's not Nicholas Holt. I think George Mackay has to like 
kill him at some point. But like, yeah, he seems like he it. would be. Yeah, yeah, because it's all like rebel Australians against the British. Like, why would he right. be a good guy in that movie? Right. Um, but he also he did the two Del Toro movies in a row because it was Pacific Rim, and then he's also in Crimson Peak, which like, right. which is a, a nothing role. He's that's... he's not bad in it, but like everybody in Crimson Peak is at an eleven, and he's at like a sensible eight, <laughs> and like he is tasked with being at a sensible like right. Five. And meanwhile, like Jessica Chastain is just like spinning off into space, giving and... full black Narcissus. <laughs> <laughs> Love that movie. And then even after Lost City of Zed, he's in like King Arthur Legend of the Sword, which is like never going to do anything for anybody. Nobody saw the Papillon remake that he did with, with, um, wasn't Garrett Hedlund also in that? Am I crazy? <gasps> Can no. they do that? Oh, no, <laughs> but it's Rami Malek is the other guy in the Papillon oh, remake. Like immediately pre-Oscar Rami right. Malek. Oh, you know what? It's a million little pieces that it's him and Aaron Taylor Johnson both in that same movie. Oh. That's what it was. Which again, nobody saw this. Yeah. That Taylor movie Johnson. was fully at a tiff that we were all at and uh-huh. no one saw no, it. There. No yeah. one saw it there. Um uh, he's on an Apple TV Plus series right now called Shantaram. Here's the thing. You could say that phrase, he or she is on an Apple TV Plus series right now about anybody, and I'd have to believe you because... Unless it's Octavia se- Spencer is on a multi-season Apple she sure TV is. Plus And she show. plays a podcaster. Yes. Right? She plays a podcaster. Like It's like Murder, She Wrote with podcasting. She's like a podcaster, like crime solver. We should be watching this. I should be because Kate Hudson is in the first season of that show. So like, yeah. I absolutely should be watching that show. Um... The yes. Charlie Hennon show seems less promising. Yes, it does. It sure uh, does. But yeah, he's, you know, starred on a TV show in this year of 2022, and here we are not watching and it. And he's filming a Zack Snyder movie right now, which... Okay. You know what? God bless. I really did not care for uh, Army of the Dead, and so I'm... This is a this takes p- place in space. It's called Rebel Moon. It's him and Sofia Boutella, who I at least hope they'll let dance again because that's basically the only time I find Sofia Boutella uh, intriguing is in something like Climax where she's dancing. We are a Sofia Boutella stand podcast. <laughs> wow, um, I did not know she's about great. this podcast. Um, um, Chris is a Sofia Boutella stand. I am a first. 25 minutes of climax stand more than well anything. joe jenna, jenna malone is in that movie so speaking of stands you must you have no i must but to. i must that's actually that's a good cast Corey stoll's in that movie mm-hmm. uh jaiman hansu's in that movie why not yeah sure anthony hopkins <laughs> as the voice of a sentient uh battle robot as i'm reading here on wikipedia sure. which like Honestly, that's that's where we're at with Anthony Hopkins right now. Can I make a real leap back into our previous conversation, speaking of digressions, because Anthony it. Hopkins reminded me. I, I wanted to float this theory. Do you think that you came around on Joaquin Phoenix because he was stuck announcing Anthony Hopkins as the winner of Best Actor? <laughs> and we all felt for him in that moment because there was no winning. And we we're like, you know what, Joaquin? Fine. You had to get I out of there. around by then. I also, okay. I will say, I kind of low-key, for as much as I hated Joker, I kind of low-key liked his Oscar speech. I thought it was a podcast yeah. over. I thought it was a pretty good <laughs> Oscar speech. He doesn't want you to eat meat, Joe. What else does he Listen, need to say? Like, he's a just... mother and her calf. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, okay, fine. Maybe Resume I Charlie that much. You're reminding uh, me of things digression. that I like, rolled my eyes at. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, as much as I hated Joker, I'm excited for Joker, Joker, well, Badaja, or whatever. I mean, of course, like, I am. Of course you can't I am. not be intrigued. Like Chris, Chris is not intrigued. You can't even like. I don't Chris assume it's going to be good. Chris wants to hibernate for a full year. <laughs> oh, I will. I will see. Folia de. 
yeah i am i'm i'm into it i'm sorry i am but a human i can only uh i can only take so much external stimuli <laughs> Where Lady before, goes, I will before follow. I, react. I call it set the ultimate piece of the human puzzle Hey, Garys, we are once again uh, taking a break from our weekly episode to talk to you about the Vulture Movie Fantasy League, which at this point, by the time you are reading this, the doors have been locked, the <laughs> the the bar has been lowered. Joe's and... standing in front of the camera with a microphone uh, giving you the update. I'm standing in the background with one of those spinning cardboard things that just says update, <laughs> update, update in right, flashing lights. yes. Yes, so uh, we hope you've all gotten your roster set and that we are all in for the ride for the rest of uh, Oscar season. But because now rosters are set, we can share with you what our rosters are, which is very exciting. I've been very excited to talk about this on the podcast. Chris, you shared your roster with me when you made it weeks ago, and I you know, looked at it and assessed it, but I didn't memorize it. So why don't you refresh my memory and of course illuminate our listeners. All right. You my obviously winning roster, because what's the point of competition if you're not gonna talk trash? My winning roster yes. is the Banshees of Inisharon. Yes. Tar Bardo Till Corsage The Inspection Saint Omer and Fire of Love. I think this is a really good roster. I think there are Oscar possibilities in pretty much all of these in some category or another. And you, you stayed pretty much at the middle to high middle level in terms of price tags. Your highest I did. priced entry is Tar, which is a $25 uh, film. And then Banshees of Inisharan, which is a 20, which I also picked and we'll get into that, where I feel like, as somebody who devised these uh, price structures, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, I probably undervalued Banshees of Inisherin because, first of all, everybody depends who on I've how much to, box office is going to matter. I picked my roster, not even thinking about box office. I think that was basically a decision that you had to make, whether you thought and whether you thought the big box office movies like. Top Gun and Wakanda and well, Top Gun's not going to earn you box office. Uh, Wakanda and Avatar are going to cross over enough into awards right. to make them worthwhile. There are a few. We'll talk about this on a future one. There are a few box office movies that I think are going to be good value picks that I don't think were like too super mm-hmm. highly uh, that weren't going to cost you very much. Um, like I think I want to dance with somebody was. A five dollar movie. There is a chance that like that, that, that draws a, a lot of, of people to theaters over Christmas weekend mm-hmm. and into the new year. Um, I can never remember the name of the Disney movie that I just saw. Strange, Strange World, World. Strange which World, which is another five dollar um, movie. Yeah, that I think could pay off. It could be the type of thing that you know it may not get the points for being like number one at the box office or something, but over the long haul could make a box office tally that does get you a lot of points and could end up on the animated feature shortlist. You know what I mean? Like right. there is like uh, that possibility is out there. But anyway, um, I wanted to drill into Bardo for a second because I just recently saw that, and I know that you are a fan. You picked this sight unseen. You hadn't seen the movie when you picked this so 
We'll talk about, I imagine as award season goes on, we'll talk about Bardo. I ended up liking it a good bit better than I expected to. I thought I would really sort of mm-hmm. uh, be struggling to get through. And it's like, it's the third two hours act and 40 is the minutes. hardest to get through. There's two specific sequences back to back that feel like a big ask of the audience to put those back to back once you're already past the two hour mark. But overall, I really like the movie. It's, it worked about one scene on one scene off kind of for me at a pretty like consistent level of like one sequence was like really, really tremendous. And I was very captivated by it. And the whole thing looks gorgeous, even when it is being annoying to me. Um, You know, who I loved in that movie was the guy who played the talk show host Mm -hmm. who gives them a hard time. And then they also have the scene on the rooftop. He had, um, Jude Law in Contagion energy that I really, really enjoy. <laughs> but so where do you expect Bardo to, to earn you points? I mean, I've kind of... A lot of people have talked about Glass Onion. Like, it's probably Netflix's uh, top priority play, and I've wondered I'm if it's Bardo I'm saying it should be. While. I don't know if it will be. But, I, but I, you're I, not alone in saying a lot yeah. of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Bardo is something that I actually see probably being... Uh, Best Director nominee. I could see this ah. being a movie that uh, shows up on Oscar nomination morning and surprises people with five or six nominations and that it goes beyond the international feature category. Sure. sure. I'm not sure if it'll win the international feature category, but I think especially with the Netflix machine behind it, I do think that this is going to be a movie that does yeah better than people are probably expecting it to and obviously like there are the signs there already that the industry maybe appreciates it more than festival audiences have right Um, obviously not a movie that's gonna yield me any box office points but right right but i don't know i'm somewhat uh bullish you could say so as I said, I share, I think the only one that we shared, no, Fire of Love I also picked, mm-hmm. which um, I think we both expect that to be, it's tough to like predict the documentary c- category because they often go very much their own way, but I do feel like that is a strong would-be contender, and I've thought that way since For I a low-dollar pick, too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and it's like... Who knows? That could be a winner in documentary. We don't know at this point. I don't I think ha- there's any... I think it has a good chance. Yeah, especially if, as you believe, uh, Laura Poitras having already won for Citizen Four makes her less of a likely contender for All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. There's a whole lot of history there where they just do not nominate people who have already won. We'll see how that goes. So, as I said to you, uh, we share Banshees of Inisharan. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second. My other picks are Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was a $45 valuation, which was my sort of like big swing. I wanted to get one of the two top contenders that I think could win Best Picture. At this point, I don't think it's only two movies that can win Best Picture, but I think the two most likely at this point are Everything Everywhere All at Once and The Fablemans. I'm not ruling out other movies jumping up there, but I think everything everywhere all at once has 
the potential to be nominated in a lot of categories yeah. and to show up throughout awards season. Especially as a lot of these late season movies seem to really disappoint people, like she mm-hmm. said in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Or at least mm-hmm. the first blush with Babylon and first responses, you know, a lot of people seem to be underwhelmed. I could see both of those movies still getting Best Picture nominations, but it's seeming less and less likely that they're going to be like the the winning juggernaut movie. Right. Um, I also picked Banshees of Inisherin. I think, as I said, there's a chance I undervalued that when I came up with the evaluations for this. And, like, trust me when I say I did not value these movies with an eye towards me picking my team. I can't win this <laughs> thing. So, like, this me picking a team is literally for, like, editorial uh, shits and giggles at this point. But so many people that I know of sent me their rosters and had Banshees of Inisherin on it. And at $20 for a movie that will very likely get three acting nominations, outside chance for four acting nominations, and is also a Best and Picture, a Best best picture, picture Dark too. Horse. Yeah. 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 I um, mean, I, I, yeah, because of the spread of it, I think that that is pro, that has the potential to be the highest value, uh, yeah. draft pick uh, yeah. uh, among all of the options. However, if everybody, uh, recognized that and made it their pick, then, Maybe not. It could be a wash. Maybe yeah, it's a it could wash. be a wash because everybody picked it. The other $20 valuations, just to give you a sense, were Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, which may be a little overvalued at 20 unless the Os- they really do make that Netflix's Oscar contender. Um, and then Triangle of Sadness, which I think does have some juice in it. Like, you could get some good uh some good mileage out of triangle of sadness there there is good potential that movie that feels like a movie whose like star has faded somewhat as the season has gone on but it is the movie a movie with the potential to come back i think could have picture director nomination potential and sporting sporting actress screenplay crossed so hard um my other picks were, I kind of went heavy on the animation category, and we'll see how that turns out. I picked Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which has thus far gotten good word of mouth. Um, it's still very early yet, but it's gotten good word of mouth from what I've heard. Uh, and then Turning Red, which I do feel like will be a nominee, maybe not a winner. Um, and then I also picked Lyle Lyle Crocodile as a flyer $1 pick, solely because I do feel like there is a better than outside chance that that gets a best original song nomination. So <laughs> solely because you knew that talking about our actual teams uh would happen on the episode that we are having Katie guest Katie Rich as a guest and yes. you know Katie noted uh Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Katie um, Rich is the media of that army. champion of Lyle Lyle Crocodile and we love her for it. Um, my other sort of low dollar picks were Living because I do feel like Bill Nye is a strong almost, contender for a best actor nomination. I think I that said. is a potential best picture nomination too, just because of Sony Classics history. Here's what I will say: my initial reaction to that is you're insane, but like I've undervalued, I've underrated this movie all season. So like, who knows? Like I could be completely. Uh, wrong. I think it's just very small and quiet, and especially as the me. sun has now moved to a qualifying release. <laughs> sure, I, I think Living is the movie that they're going to be pushing. Sure, I just don't feel like it's not like there's a Sony Pictures Classics nominee every year. R- sure, absolutely, which is why it, you're not wrong to call me crazy about this. However, 
Yes. There uh, are Fire a of lot Love. of, you know, surface level parallels that they've had a lot of success with. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Fire of Love and then my eighth movie, uh, which I don't feel great about as an awards play, is Devotion, which could get like a nomination here or there. It was it was cheap enough. Uh, it was affordable enough. I shouldn't say cheap. That has a, a value judgment on it. It was affordable enough for me that I thought what little box office it picks up. And like, there's a chance it makes a good modest box office haul. There's a lot know. of people talking about Jonathan Majors in that movie too. Best actor being what it is. You know, it might just I would that be movie surprised, being a hit and he's finally nominated. But like, yeah, Devotion has the potential to be a modest little hit, and then if so, then it's a good value pick for me. So I like my roster. It's going to depend very heavily on the top. I very much strategically went for what in fantasy football uh, is known as a stars and scrubs approach, where you pick, if, especially if you're doing an auction, which is essentially what this format uh, mirrors, is an auction format where you're paying higher prices for bigger things that like i basically picked two that i think are going to get me 90 percent of my points and then six movies that i think will like produce enough value that will augment those top two movies but it's going to depend very heavily i think you have a little bit you have a much more balanced roster where you're going to be able to get more points from the middle of your roster than I will. Certainly. Well, but my stars, I think, are pretty, I think, reliable that there's mm-hmm. going to be prizes there. I will be interested to see, ultimately, how well Tar does. Because Tar does seem like the classic, critics will love it more than Oscar voters will love it. The question is, how much? What? How big right. that disparity will be? Are, is any group going to go for it for Best Picture? Is anybody going to give Best Director to Todd Field, etc.? I think the critics groups will show up for Tar. I think it will be. I think there is a chance that when the Oscar votes come around and it gets like four nominations and everybody freaks out, I wouldn't be super surprised. Right. Is what I, I mean, saying. I also have Till too. I kind of have a feeling that. Not only critics, but Oscar could show up for that movie. If you yeah. look at a lot of these specialty release movies, like its box office is beating all of them. Yeah. <laughs> like it, oh, it's yeah. compared to Danielle things Deadweiler, like Banshees and Tar, it's a box office hit. I think Danielle Deadweiler is pretty well, uh, nothing is locked at this point, but she's pretty well in position for a nomination for Best Actress. Yeah. And that's going to get you far throughout, uh, throughout awards season. So, those are our rosters. We will be back next week to talk about the first batch of awards nominations and how those Indie have Spirit. affected the Indie Spirit Awards. As you listen to this, depending on how soon in the week you listen to this, they may have already presented. Um, but tune in to our episode next week. We'll talk about how people did with their uh, – how uh, movies did at the Indie, Indie Spirit Awards. And, yeah, so I'm just going to remind you, but even though we are past the point – of you being able to sign up for uh, the pool or for the fantasy league that you can win uh, first place wins a TCL 55 inch five series smart Roku TV. Second place wins a stream bar plus wireless base bundle. You can go to moviegame.vulture.com where scores will be posted starting, I believe the end of this week and If you have signed up for the Movie League, you are getting a newsletter written by me, 
and I will be posting scores in that as well. So, uh, enjoy. We are off to the races, Chris, as they say with the Vulture movie game. And now, enjoy your regularly scheduled Lost City of Zed. I call it Zed! <laughs> okay, I want Charlie keep... Hunnam, though. Yes. Okay. Let's, yes let's I'm not sure. Sh- I mean, like, he's tasked with being handsome leading man in a lot of scripts that are not as interesting as this yeah. that ask far less of him than this. But, like, I don't know where he goes from this movie. And yet, like, this movie makes such a strong case for him Mm -hmm. as a leading man. It's almost like if this would have been the first time that he had had the opportunity Mm. to do this type of vibe, he might have gotten better roles. Yeah. Instead of... Well, it's also, like, not a good time for our hunks, like, of, you know, for the Garrett Hedlund, Charlie Hunnam's of the world. Like... Uh, Charlie Hunnam is over 40 now. Like, he's British. He's not in the Channing Tatum spot because only Channing Tatum can be in the Channing Tatum spot. And he's not a Marvel character yet. Actually, it's kind of weird that it hasn't happened yet, honestly. Kind of is, um, yes. But, yeah, like, what else is there? Like, what are the things he we wish he was doing that he's not? Like, an Apple TV Plus series sounds like exactly what he should be doing. But, you know, we know how that goes. Yes. I... It's It's tough to say. Like, Sons of Anarchy was a weirdly became a really good fit for him even though like i was so dubious that that would be the case and yet he's very easily overshadowed by the other people who are on that show right ron perlman's a bigger presence on that show katie seagal all that sort of stuff and the thing about lost city of zed is that james gray is willing to give him a lot of space and a lot of room in this movie to develop this character he doesn't really crowd him out he trusts him with you know you know sort of quiet moments and quiet scenes and yet also will give him that a big sort of like fiery speech in front of the geographical society and all that and i don't see a whole lot of other people giving him that leeway and his other stuff. So yeah, because as much of it is this like huge period epic, it's also. I mean, I I think if you probably asked uh, James Gray to talk about this movie, he would probably tell you it's more of a character study type of movie. Sure. And it, in that way, it serves Charlie Hunnam a lot better than the type of like epics and yeah large well, scale macho movies he's been in. For like for all of the sort of. Um, you know, driven, purposeful stuff that his character sort of goes through in this movie. The stuff with him and Sienna Miller is just as compelling. Like, that is mm-hmm. a really, really interesting marriage on the screen. And yeah. I I think that impresses me even more, maybe. Yeah, I I, I don't want to be rude to Charlie Hunnam because I think he's good in this movie, but I think sure. a lot of it is the like was the Kuleshov effect where like you edit, you see show something, and then you cut to somebody else, and like I think James Gray is leading you to think about this movie, to look at someone's face, and to see mm-hmm. what's developing in their thoughts, and like he is capable of it, like and but I don't know that it's like such stunning work of acting is that like his performance is working well with what the movie is is telling you, but I agree yeah. with you about their marriage, and I think that's a mm-hmm. interesting because that's like real chemistry between them. It is. And, and that, like, that's good writing, but, like, also they... And no shade together. against Sienna Miller, but, like, that doesn't always happen with great her... Great chemistry between two of our great faceless actors. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> like... Listen, 
living with someone you love is sometimes lonelier than living alone. Than living alone. Uh, what is the rest of that? If, if the, the person you're in love with isn't love in you. love with you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I knew, so, I knew Count on a Hot Ten Roof was going to come up. I knew it. The thing about Sienna Miller, well, Chris brings up the, the, the sort of most salient point that, you know, I don't want to dance around for too much longer because, like, she is the, the thing about Sienna Miller face blindness. I sort of, you know, it's real. It is one of those things where you would like to feel like it is, uh, it's overblown and people are being mean and it's just sort of like people being bitchy about Sienna Miller. And yet, I've experienced Sienna Miller face blindness. I have, you know, <laughs> I've gone through it and it is, it's a thing. So for the quiz that I've come up with for this particular <laughs> iteration, we've gone through no. Charlie Hunnam or Garrett Headland and the battle. By the way, the they're in the same, they're in Triple Frontier. I just wanted people to be screaming at their, that they're I knew they were in something apps. together. <laughs> yep. Uh, shout out David Sims, the one person who writes for that movie so, so hard. <laughs> um, uh, second time around, we did Ben Wishaw and Donald Gleason and the battle of the wispy, dreamy British lads. Um, then last time we did Jack O'Connell and Josh O'Connor and the sort of similarly named uh, uh, also... UK centric uh, performers. In this case, I wanted to step out of this a little bit. I knew we were going to do Lost City of Zed because Katie, uh, you you suggested it, and I I associate that movie with you so strongly. My experience of watching that movie. Um, I knew I had to do a Sienna Miller quiz, and the question then was, who to pair Sienna Miller with? Who spiritually really? fits this sort of like Sienna Miller or who. And so I think I wrestled with it for quite a while. And finally, this idea of Sienna Miller face blindness really settled in. And what I decided to do was we are going to play a game of Sienna Miller or anyone else. (laughs) And so the game is going to be, I am going to give you the name of a character and a description of who they are in what movie. And you're going to tell me, was this role played by Sienna Miller or anyone else? That'll be for one point. And then for a second bonus point, if you can name who that anyone else is, you'll get a second point. So there are points to be had. And I will we be were in, We were just saying, like, in another movie, it would have been just the wife. I feel like we're in for so many of those. Katie, you have intuited very oh correctly in this case. By the way, I am rocking a pen that is just leaking ink all over me. Whatever. Oh no. I feel like I'm a I feel like I'm a college professor in a movie about somebody who has like one of those offices with just like manuscripts sort of stacked. Yeah. Oh, no, you are a Charlie. I have I'm, I'm Nicole Kidman's Virginia Wolf in point of fact. I have the ink stained fingers, is what's going on there. <laughs> All right. So Katie, you are our guest. You're gonna take our first crack at Sienna oh, Miller okay. or anyone else. Are you ready? Yeah, I guess so. All right. As Edie Sedgwick, one of Andy Warhol's many muses in Factory Girl. I'm pretty sure that is Sienna Miller. That is indeed Sienna Miller. One point for you. Chris, as Nancy, wife to murdered Olympic wrestler Dave Schultz in Foxcatcher. That is Sienna Miller. That is it's not Sienna fair Miller. not to give me the Foxcatcher question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My personal brand depends on it. All right. As 
Uh, this is back to Katie. As Teresa, a woman who copes with the loss of her mother via hallucinogenics in Woodshock. Oh my god. I have no idea. I'm going to guess not Sienna Miller. It is not Sienna Miller. Do you want to take a crack at who that might be? Who could it be? You know, I was looking her up because of another Sienna... Hang on, no, I'm not going to say that because it might be spoilery. Um, let's say Sadie Frost. Just go back to my not tabloid controversy. Can I take the steal? Uh... I'm not going to do steal points, but just for uh, uh, for, uh, for posterity. Yes, it is Kirsten Dunst. It is recent first time oh, Oscar that's nominee the directed Ro- by Rodarte movie. It is the Rodarte right, movie. Yes, indeed. Right. All right, Chris. I'm one of like three people who have seen that not great movie. Chris, for you, as Strawberry Fields, an MI6 agent who was seduced by James Bond in Quantum of Solace. That is not Sienna Miller. That is not Sienna Miller. Want to take a guess who it is? It's Olga Kurlyenko. It's not. She's I'm also taking in that this movie. Deal. That's it, Gemma Katie? Arterton. That is Gemma Arterton. Ah, much right. more of a Sienna Miller dupe. Uh, should I give points for steals? Should I do that? Nah. All right. Nah. Right. Okay. Um, back to Katie. As Emily, the love interest to John Cusack's Edgar Allan Poe in The Raven. Oh, my God. I've heard <laughs> people make jokes about this so much. I don't think that's Sienna Miller. It is not Sienna Miller. You get a point. Want to guess who? Um, oh, God. What's the name of the girl who's in Sucker Punch? I feel like it's her. Her name's name is Emily. Yes, no, her name might not be Emily. Um, there is an Emily in Sucker Punch. Yeah. Uh, uh, Vanessa Hudgens. I, yeah. I don't know. No, you're thinking of Emily Browning, but it's not Emily yes, Browning. Yes, I am thinking of Emily Browning. Uh, Chris, do you have a guess at this just for fun? I thought Vera Farmiga was in that movie. She might be no? in that movie, but this role is Alice Eve. Alice Eve. Yes. Chris, to you, as Christy, a young woman with a credible claim on the vineyard that Russell Crowe means to inherit in a good year. That is not Sienna Miller. That is not Sienna That is anyone else. That's, it is Marion Cotillard. No, Marion Cotillard's a different role in that movie. It's a sure. French, isn't it a French lady, though? It is not. It is Abby Cornish. Oh, <laughs> Katie. As Dr. Grace Hart, one of the love interests for one of a pair of detectives played by Will Ferrell and John C. Riley in Holmes and Watson. Oh, Jesus. I don't think that's Sienna Miller. It is not Sienna Miller. Point okay. to you. Any idea? It's Rebecca Hall, right? Well, Katie should have You didn't let me guess. Oh, sorry, 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 re- sorry, sorry. I just jumped right <laughs> is, is it really Rebecca Hall? It's I'm really Rebecca Hall. Yeah. Wow. All Thanks, right. Thanks, Chris. Sorry. Um, I get the point. I'm taking it. All right. Uh, it, uh, it's my fault for just jumping right in. So you all right. So Katie I can't does believe get that Rebecca point. Hall had to take that role in like 2019, whenever that came out. Good Lord. Yeah. All right. Chris, this is back to you. Um, sorry. One second. Yes. As Tammy, Daniel Craig's love interest in Layer Cake. That is Sienna Miller. That is Sienna Miller. Point to you. It is five to four, Katie. All right. Katie. As Simone, a prostitute and love interest for Ryan Reynolds in Mississippi Grind. Oh, jeez. I think that is Sienna Miller? That is Sienna Miller. Very good. Katie. (laughs) All right. Uh, Chris, as Jan, the pregnant wife of Jason Clark's mountain climber in Everest. That is not Sienna Miller. It is not. Who is it? Is that Kira Knightley? It is Kira Knightley. There Very we go. Good. That movie's not She's half bad. She's the only bad. actress I know in that movie. Not half bad movie. I think she is the only actress in that movie. Uh, 
uh, Katie, to you, as Francesca, feminist author and the love interest of the title character in Casanova. Oh. That is Sienna Miller. It is Sienna Miller. All right. All right. You guys are very good at this. Chris, as Lisa, a young woman who wakes up in a bathtub full of ice with a kidney missing in Urban Legends Final Cut. Oh, wow. Um... I'm gonna guess that is not Sienna Miller. It is not Sienna Miller. Any idea? Uh, uh, like, is it also Alice Eve? It is not. It could. It feels like it may be Alice Eve, but it is not. Right, Katie. Do you have any idea? I we haven't guessed Haley Atwell yet, and I feel like she's coming. So I'm gonna. It is not Haley Atwell. It is Jacinda Barrett. Our our love Jacinda Barrett. Uh, Katie, this is for you, as Joan, the third wife of Ray Kroc in The Founder. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's Sienna Miller. It is not. Any idea who? Is that Haley Atwell? It is not Haley Atwell. (laughs) That is, Chris, any idea? Um, I know Laura Dern's in that movie, but I don't know who else is in that movie. Third wife of Linda Cardellini, who I thought was Sienna Miller in Foxcatcher, famously. All right. Um, is she also, isn't she also in Foxcatcher, Linda Cardellini? No. Nope. What am I thinking of? Nope. Uh, You're whatever. thinking of the Avengers movies. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, Katie, this is, no, wait. No, no, it's Chris. Chris, this is to Chris, right? Yeah. 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 All right. As Elsa, the mother of a young German Asa Butterfield in The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. No, that is not Sienna Miller. It's not. Who is it? That is Vera Farmiga. That is Vera Farmiga. Oh! <laughs> Good work. Katie, as Victoria, the woman who loses her man to a star made human in Stardust. (laughs) She is in Stardust. I think that's Sienna Miller. That is. You're right. Correct. That is Sienna Miller. Okay. Chris, as Jean, wife to the world's worst golfer, Mark Rylance, in The Phantom of the Open. (laughs) That is not Sienna Miller. It's not. Who is it? It is Sally Hawkins. It is Sally Hawkins. What is this movie? (laughs) I gotta see The Phantom of the Open. (laughs) All right. Katie, as the Baroness, a villainous Cobra operative in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. That is Sienna Miller. Sure is. I've seen that one. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. not a very good performance or movie. No. Oh, Chris, wow. as Ava, an actress who aggressively seeks the rights to adapt the title character's enigmatic yet dubious story in J.T. Leroy. That is not uh, Sienna Miller. Correct. Who is it? That's Laura Dern. No, Laura Dern is the one who fakes uh, being J.T. Leroy. Uh, is it Kristen Stewart? It's no, I saw Kristen that movie is at the, that tip. Is the person is, is the is, is the J. person T. who pretends Leroy? to be J.T. Leroy? Okay. This is Diane Kruger. Diane, right? Who plays essentially Asia Argento in that movie? Yes. Uh, Katie, this is for you as I'm... Daphne, Jonah Hill's girlfriend in Get Him to the Greek. Oh, it's not Sienna Miller. It's not. Who is it? Emily Blunt. It's Elizabeth Moss. No. Lizzie Moss. Oh! Uh, Chris, as Charlotte, the single mother love interest for Tom Hiddleston in High Rise. That is Sienna Miller. That is Sienna Miller. Very good. All right. Uh, We've got two more apiece. So into this last last couple rounds of questions, Katie has 11. Chris has 13. Oh, yikes. All right, so Katie, as Melody, the ludicrously young woman who ends up married to Larry David in Woody Allen's Whatever Works. 
<laughs> that is not Santa Miller. Yes. That is Evan Rachel Wood. That is Evan Rachel Wood. Katie ties it up. I've seen All right. that one. Chris, as Kay, the longtime girlfriend of Matthew McConaughey's gold procurer in gold. <laughs> that is not Sienna Miller. All right. Who is it? Bryce Dallas Howard. Yes, it's Bryce Dallas wow. Howard. Very good. <laughs> Katie, your last question. Okay. As Colette, the lawyer for a mentally ill Helena Bonham Carter in 55 Steps. I've never heard of that movie. I know who this is. I'm going to say it's not Sienna I know Miller. the answer. I'm going to say it's not Sienna Miller. It's not Sienna Miller. Any guesses? Chris, going back to my friend Haley Atwell one more time. I don't think it's, it's her. It's not Haley Atwell. <laughs> Chris, who is it? It's Hillary Swank. It's Hillary Swank. Oh, All right, Chris, you have mathematically secured the game, but you get the last question anyway. As Frankie, a narcotics cop, partnered with Chadwick Boseman in 21 Bridges. That is Sienna Miller. It is Sienna Miller. Chris, you win uh, 16 to 14. Wow. Well Well played. played. I watched that Cat on a Hot Tin Roof clip enough to know. Katie, it is insane (laughs) that I didn't pick any Haley Atwell roles. You're absolutely right. I know. I was just like going through like (laughs) British actresses around 40 and she (laughs) popped up for me. Chris, you have a better working knowledge of Sienna Miller's filmography than I was uh, prepared for. You were really uh, on that ball. I guess I was more prepared for that than I was <laughs> as well. Um, the face blindness is maybe overrated when it comes to it. For the both of you, actually, you both pretty much uh, nailed all the Sienna Miller roles. So I definitely thought she was in London Fields, that movie that got delayed a, b- a bazillion times. But I guess that was Amber Heard who... Oh, uh, sure. Right. I feel like worthy. Sienna Miller's the person I think is always in all of those, like, rock and roll. She is in Layer uh, Cake, but like... What was that Beban Kadron movie? I think it was Beban Kadron. Uh, it was like Hippie Hippie Shake or yes, something. Yes, yeah, that movie got, it got delayed forever. Did it ever come out? I think it did in the UK, maybe, but not here in the States. It's I think it's quite, on her IMDb page. It's quite the career, I will say. She's been in a lot of movies for somebody who is sort of like the joke is that like nobody really. And like, I feel like. Uh, what you call it american sniper felt like a turning point where it was yes. such a big hit and she's in such a prominent role and that everybody who saw that was like i guess i remember her being in that but mostly i remember the fake baby in her mm-hmm. arms so <laughs> yep yeah uh can i talk about a santa miller movie though that i think no one has ever seen but she deserved like that would make you believe in her yes so i she, think i know what this movie this movie american be. woman Okay, have you have you seen this movie? No one has seen this movie. I I haven't seen it, but I do remember around the time of Mayor of Easttown because the director of that movie is the creator of Mayor of Easttown. The writer of that movie, Jake Scott, son of Ridley, is the director of it. Weirdly, yeah, Brad Everyone was like, those of us who saw American Woman knew Mayor of Easttown would be major. Yes, well, well, the the thing is, like, American Woman is not really a good movie, but Brad Inglesby takes like all of the good parts of American Woman. It's like I'm gonna make it a murder mystery show and make it a hit, and it made. Like Kate Winslet is not like doesn't have like stolen valor from Sienna Miller. Like she is still Kate Winslet, but Sienna Miller is what really a good at American to have Woman. To say. <laughs> I know. What a but caveat! Like, 
Sienna Miller is doing a lot of the same stuff. Like she's playing like a surprisingly old grandmother and she's like raising this kid and she's like in that exact same house with like the stairs where you like walk in the door and the stairs go up and the stairs go down. Is Amy Madigan the Gene Smart in that movie? Amy Madigan is the Gene Smart in that movie. Exactly. And Christina Hendricks is the Julianne Nicholson in some way. She's like the sister-in-law. Sure, it's like a slightly sure, different sure. story, but like her teenage daughter goes missing. So like there's like a murder mystery element. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to like tell people to go run and see that movie because it's not very good. But Sienna Miller is really good in it. I interviewed her for it. And like ever since, like she really went for it. And like, should she have started a movie called American Woman? I don't know. It's not a great title for a movie anyway, but like <laughs> sure. it bums me out that she really did the work in that. And then Mare of Easttown goes and like, do you say that because that was the title that Kyle Richards chose for the TV show about her mother's <laughs> life that she made that uh, got Kathy Hilton all angry at her in the first place. I just Possibly, feel like perhaps. no one should use that title. I mean, like yeah. directed by like again Jake Scott, son of Ridley. Like, should he be directing that movie? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I do remember though that getting uh, good reviews. She is currently, according to IMDb, making. She's in the new Kevin Costner directed. Uh, Western, of course, on a long oh. enough timeline, Kevin Costner will make another Western. <laughs> so, um, Horizon is that what that is? Horizon. It's her, our friend Sam Worthington, who is being forced back into all of our consciousness now that the this Avatar can't is be back. facial blindness. The movie, <laughs> truly, right? It's the two facial blindness people all at once. It's Sienna Miller and Sam Worthington. It's going to be like Annihilation, where it's the two sort of like glass faced. Uh, entities staring at each other and mirroring each other's movements. Yeah. Jenna Malone. Also. Annihilation, Jenna Malone. but it's Sam Worthington and Sienna Miller in cowboy hats. <laughs> That's another one, though. Again, like this, like whatever, post Civil War Western, and you cast um, Sienna Miller, who is. Was born in New York City, but is English, right? Yeah, like very, yeah. very distinctly English, I think. Sam Worthington is us. No, he's English. I always want to say he's Australian, but no, no he's, he's Australian. Well, he was born in England. See, this is was why we really? click on their thing. Yes, yes, he was born. Uh, and Nicole Kidman is Hawaiian. Yeah, well, also that. Yes, okay. Um, yeah, he moved so, to Australia when he was six months old. So yeah, you know. uh, Jamie Campbell Bower also mm-hmm. English. Um, like, and then you get into, like, your American... But Luke Wilson's in there, Luke you know. Luke Wilson, Thomas Hayden Church, Jenna Malone, Michael Rooker, sure. But, like, your top three beyond Kevin Costner stars in this very, very American genre. Whatever, like, it's dumb to complain about that kind of thing because, like, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch can star in, you know, Power of the Dog and play... Sure, and be really good you know good but whatever it's just it's interesting to me i don't know i need to find a sam worthington movie to do on this show so i can ride to his defense because there's always <laughs> but it's really it's his heart his career has not really gone that direction what's the one where he's on he's a fugitive and he's on the ledge of a building and he's like yelling down at a cop down oh it's called it man on the ledge that's right okay um, that one didn't have Oscar buzz, but we could just lie, I guess. We could just yeah. sort of... Wait, he's in Everest. We're going to... He's well, in Everest! That's it. We're doing Everest next I think time. we might have to do Everest. I like that I think that we movie. might have to. Yeah. That's a good cast, though. Jason Clark, Jake Gyllenhaal, Josh Brolin, John Hawks, Robin Wright, Emily Watson, uh, Kira Knightley, Sam Worthington, Martin yeah. Henderson. Talk about also face blindness. Like, Debicki's oh, in yeah. that movie? I don't know. He's in that movie? She plays Everest. She's so tall. <laughs> 
plays Everest. And directed by uh, Baltasar Kormakor, like the uh, European like schlockator yeah. who yeah. everyone loves. That was a movie I saw. That was I have such a soft spot for movies that I see based purely on convenience. I literally I had the afternoon off. I was walking in the on the Upper West Side. I walked past the Lincoln Square Theater, and I was like, I should see a movie. What's playing right now? And it was mm-hmm. Everest. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And it was fine. Honestly, yep. it was just <laughs> very fine. And yep. I'll take it. You know, honestly, it was a nice place to sit for a couple hours. And <laughs> sometimes that's all you need. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, we've already then locked you in for. <laughs> I'm so I love it. Well, who in a plane comes? The together. quiz will be Everest or K2, and it'll just be <laughs> Wait, shots but, of mouth. Did you say Vanessa Kirby? Because Vanessa per- Kirby's also in that movie. Wait, is she? Jesus. Yes, according to IMDb and Mia Goth. Jesus H Christ! I, I did know. not go down that far. Yeah, you're totally right. And Robin wow. Wright p- plays someone in Peach Weathers. This is <laughs> Gale Weathers. Uh... <laughs> Uh, meteorologist sister. Peach <laughs> Weathers. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Robin Wright Penn does not. Robin, Robin Wright Penn, like it's 20 years ago. Like, yeah. Robin yeah, Wright like does not look like Forrest a peach, Gump I will say. Credits. No. Um, amazing. All right. Back to Lost City of Zed. We're backing up, back, back, backing up. Um, we got to talk about Pattinson in this movie, who enters this fantastic. movie pretty much exactly the same way he enters Tenet, which is. He's just sort of there <laughs> to help the main character. And he was, he's been there in the scene for like a couple of minutes. And, and the really main character's realize. like, why are you here? What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, exactly. It's perfect. That's, a, that's such a good point. <laughs> um, this feels like a turning point movie for him kind of too. I want to look into his filmography to like, he had been in things post Twilight, but like before this, like he was okay. doing his like David Cronenberg like tiny movies that nobody right, saw. Right, that's right. Like, as Twilight was, was wrapping up, this. right? Yeah. Right, so, right. so right. the last Twilight right. comes out in 2012. But, but no, but like Queen of the Desert, Life, um, Childhood of a Leader, like so this comes out the same year as Good Time. So, like that's I think the one-two punch where everyone's like, mm-hmm. oh, we're paying attention to him because like yeah. really like look at his IMDb. It's not until like. The light, like High Life is 2018. Mm-hmm. Did anyone see that? The Lighthouse in 2019 feels like the first one ever, like enough people saw weird bearded Robert Pattinson. So this yeah. is certainly an important stepping stone on that path. His his breakout from Twilight, I want to sort of like track it because like Remember Me, fake 9-11, not fake 9-11, mm-hmm. secret 9-11 movie mm-hmm. uh, is in the midst of the Twilights. Yeah. As and, is uh, Water, Water for Elephants. Yeah. Water for Elephants. Um, which is a movie that we've done on this podcast without you, and yet it feels spiritually like we did it. With you. <laughs> we talked about it on Fighting in the War Room. We did a like, that might be why ten I years later that. flashback episode yeah. where we talked about movies we had talked about on the podcast. In I, and I think I had listened to it not long before we had done yeah. our episode, so like it I have felt watched spiritually it like, like you were there. I have watched it recently, and like I'm the only person on Earth who has. So <laughs> I've talked about it. And then Cosmopolis comes out right around the time or the same year as twilight breaking dawn part two yeah and then from there it's he does the rover with david michaud which did not appeal to me in the least it's just and i like animal kingdom a lot but like i don't love westerns it's sort of a dystopian western at that and i i wasn't into Pattinson at that point. I didn't like Cosmopolis at all. And yeah, 
there wasn't really a ton of reason. Like, I like Guy Pierce. I like Scoot McNary a lot, but I didn't really know that then. Um, the most conceivable movie that Scoot McNary God, would be Are in. we talking about Face Finalist and not talking about Scoot McNary, who I'll never <laughs> recognize from movie to movie? I feel like, but Face Blindness with a character actor can be seen yeah. as a virtue, right? Where, yeah, Where, like, you true. disappear right. into roles and whatnot. I think it's Face Blindness with, with somebody who is taking a lead uh, or, a, or a featured, you know, love interest or whatever. Um, Maps to the Star is another movie that I did not care for. Another Cronenberg uh, pair up that I didn't care for. Um, he has so little to do in that movie, too. Yeah. Did either one of us, any any one of the three of us, see Queen of the Desert, the Werner Herzog? No, movie? but I kind of feel like you need to do it on this show. I mean, Kidman what a right. weird and artifact. Pattinson, like, we kind of do have to. And Pattinson's right? playing Lawrence of Arabia. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. That movie, like, was the type of thing that prognosticators were paying attention to, and then the movie just, like, never got released. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then, like, so he's he's working kind of exclusively with really interesting directors, right? David Michaud, yeah. David Cronenberg, Werner Herzog. He works with Anton Corbin uh, for Life, a movie that, again... I don't know. Another prognosticator with Dane DeHaan playing James Dean. I have seen that movie and I don't remember why. Oh, interesting. I just shared you guys a picture of Robert Pattinson in Queen of the Desert holding two baby lions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll put it on the Tumblr. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Looking like Kidman just sort of staring at him, kind of, and he just looks like confused about why why he's there and why he's everybody. He does. She also does. The two lion cubs also look confused. Like just, just there's a lot of confusion happening. I don't know what's happening. Wait, so what is the story about James Dean that is being told in Anton Corbin's life? It's about the story of that photo of James Dean in Times Square. Like where he has like his jacket collar pulled up. Sure, 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 sure. I don't okay. remember. Oh, you know what? I interviewed the costume designer of the Woman King recently, and she worked on that movie, and that is why it like resurfaced in my brain. Um, gotcha. I remember nothing else about seeing that. Oh, movie. this was the movie that Taylor Cole mentioned to me because we were when we talked about um, Melissa Leo as Laura Poitras and the Snowden episode and about Oscar winners ah. playing Oscar mm-hmm. winners, and we sort of cast about for other suggestions, which. Yes, I remember that I forgot to mention that Derek Gary Oldman played Mank, even though I had it in my notes in front of my face and I didn't mention it. And of course there were others. And even though Joe is a noted Mank Love fan. Mank, but like Mank we, like Faye Dunaway as as John Crawford, and there were a lot of ones. I we did in our like we did not purport to have the definitive list. We did ask everybody to contribute. So thank you everybody. We did for, have a pretty gay list, but like We did. No, but <laughs> Ben Kingsley plays Jack Warner in life, and so that's another one to throw oh. in the pile. You Since I, I imagine Jack that? Warner won an Oscar for something or other. Um, so anyway, back to Pattinson. He works with, oh God, a Brady Corbet movie, The Childhood of a Leader, which yeah. I didn't see. And he's like a specifically Hitler or just like a fascist like leader? I don't That's, think it's specifically Hitler. I've I seen that movie is. and I don't remember, but. But that's sort of sure. what it's about, right? It's like a, it's about like the childhood of somebody yeah. who grows up to be a fascist dictator. Like, isn't that the deal? Essentially, yeah. Jack Warner then, won an Oscar for My Fair Lady. What's that? Circle. Jack oh, Warner Jack won Warner. an Oscar for My Fair Lady. Just, you Thank know, you. closing that loop. Um, and then since Lost City of Zed, um, good time you mentioned with the Safties who had just made Heaven Knows What and were sort of riding high from that. Uh, Claire Denis in High Life, Robert Eggers after uh, The Witch with The Lighthouse. Um, obviously, Nolan with Tenet. I fucking love him in Tenet so much. He's so good in Tenet. 
a human scarf. Uh, just a wonderful... <laughs> Anthropomorphized Just a wonderful linen. man in that movie. I loved him. And then he's filming, again, according to Wikipedia, uh, which who knows how often they men- the update things, he's filming the new Bong Joon-ho movie, Mickey 7, which... Uh, super Very exciting. excited about that with Steven Yun and Tony Collette and Mark Ruffalo and Naomi Aki. Like, that's a fucking cast. Well, and yeah, I mean, any Bong Joon Ho movie. Is yeah. So, I biggest think, movie of next. But summer. I think that's a big reason why. I think this is also how Nicole Kidman went from being Tom Cruise's wife, who's maybe not respected for being an actress, to sort of what she became is she made it a point to work with really, really interesting directors, even if the projects weren't super commercial. And I think that gains a lot of respect. If you are somebody who is coming from a place of not being really respected for your craft is people will follow you down that road, especially people like us and sort of in our circles who then sort of bring that enthusiasm to the people. Yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah. it's been like overstated, but like Kristen Stewart really does follow the same path. Totally. The both like, of them did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels like he went a little more hardcore into it. And like, I don't know if that's actually true. Um, well, you know, she, yeah. I think Kristen Stewart probably did darker material than she did ultimately, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But she still worked with. You know, all sorts of like yeah. She stars in Seaberg and, and JT Leroy and right and, right. and personal but then also like, like Charlie's yeah. Angels and that kind yeah. of stuff, right? So, um, but now so, he's in. The, I mean, where do we land in Pattinson's Batman? Like, do we feel like that was a good? Use I of like Pattinson in Batman. I don't like the Batman. I think that's. Uh, I don't know why that movie was made and i think it's a waste of colin farrell and i know i'm in the minority on that but i really it's don't. gonna take forever for that sequel to happen and by then nobody's gonna care about that world yeah interesting um, but i, I like... like that movie and i liked him in it i think he has maybe the least to do as batman and bruce wayne how dare you he stares at so many things quizzically and puzzledly and he doesn't know what to make of them no it's jeffrey wright who has the, the least both to do of them. he it's just keeps having to say out loud what he's looking at and ask a question That's and then batman genuinely 40 percent of that movie i like that. that movie but i got very tired of that but um, i like pattinson i like pattinson yeah. as sort of you know Emo is is an overused term and not always like uh, accurately applied, but like that sort of you know moody younger Batman who is just like you know why are you the way you are like it's um, yeah. <laughs> I think he's very good. At I that. liked everything Greg Fraser brought to that movie. Sure, yeah, I like that movie. Fine, I didn't. I mean, like we certainly needed another dark Batman. Like that's exactly what we, but if he's making the Batman and then making a Bong Joon-ho movie, like you're doing great Pattinson. Like you're doing what you you need to do. I have no, I have no uh, qualms with even like the devil all the time, which everybody hated. And he is. Have you seen that movie? Oh yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Is, 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 uh, I question, uh, the taste. I'm very Nina Garcia about this movie. I question the taste level of this movie. Um, <laughs> but he's entertaining going off of the rails in that movie. He's so over the top and the accent's insane. Um, man, you know who's in, holy, I'm looking at Devil of Time IMDb. Oh, uh, everybody's in that one. Tom Holland's in that movie also. Yep. Uh, Harry Melling is in that movie also. Whoa. And also Banks Rapetta, star of Armageddon Time. 
There's just James Gray all over Devil all the time. Dang. Well, Antonio Campos uh, picked up the phone and called up James Gray and was like, how should I cast my movie? I guess right. so. So let's bring it back, though, to Pattinson in Lost City, um, which is not a role that has a ton of, like, meat on the bone in terms of, like, if you read that script and you are Robert Pattinson and you are the star of one of the big sort of franchises of, of the aughts, right? And this movie isn't going to... Even if this movie is a hit, you're not going to be the one who's going to benefit from that. It is really, really a supporting role. You are very much a supportive character. And yet, I love that Pattinson was like, yeah, I want to do that. And he mm-hmm. brings so much to that role. And mm-hmm. he's so much fun to watch at all times in this movie. Just yeah. saying, like, you know what I mean? Just sort of like saying whatever. It's... He's a really uh, he's a really interesting foil to Percy Fawcett too because he mm-hmm. is really smart and he knows what he's doing but he doesn't have the curiosity that Fawcett does like mm-hmm. that moment where they get to the waterfall and he kind of has this like big outburst of like you know we're the first ones to ever be here and you're like come on white guy like you're not and like Fawcett's the one who recognizes that but he's right. he's not but then at the mm-hmm. end he's the one who's like I got a wife and kid now I'm not going back there like he mm-hmm. can't see what Fawcett can but then he kind of knows when to pull back when it's most important. Like, well, I, I, I think that scene is crucial. as kind of this, not necessarily a scoundrel, but sort of like, he doesn't seem to have his shit together at the beginning of this movie. He's sort of like, you know, lolling around in like the bowels of this ship and he's so scruffy and he's so, you Drunk. know. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then and then you're right. So like the passage of time through the maturation of yes. this aide-de-camp character. And um, I do find like, I, the parallels between his character in that and his character in Tenet, I lo- where it's just like he forms such a a bond with the main character that we love, and obviously it's much more pronounced in Tenet because like the movie, like Tenet kind of like ends on the bond between those two characters, right? Like that's the emotional for as much as like him and the Vicky and yeah. and you know that's sort of how it ends ends, but that the the uh the bromance there for lack yeah. of a better term really that's what's most important oh just uh just so good so um i think there are two whereas sides this of kind point. of dispenses of it far more abruptly than i think you expect it to but you still given... feel because it, and it also sort of transfers the then to him and his son right where like it's yes. Percy and yeah. his son is the big relationship uh on the expeditions at the end but um but when he shows up in the trenches in World War One, it's like we should talk about just that uh, like, yeah. war photography. You're just like so mm-hmm. glad he's there. Like it's such a warm presence. And he's the one person, like as soon as he comes out of, uh, uh, when he comes to and his eyes are all bandaged uh, uh, after the chlorine gas or whatever, and he asks specifically about Pattinson's character. And when she's yeah. like, he made it through unharmed, you're just like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're so happy. <laughs> Um, I love too that like that scene, he comes out, he comes to, he thought he had died. He's got the bandages over his eyes, but his eyes will, will recover. Um, and Sienna Miller's there and she's sort of telling him about everything and she's there and the sons are there 
and his eyes are damaged, but they'll turn. And all these people who he fought with had died. And yet, like, the one thing that gets him to start weeping is when the doctor's like, you may never, you might never be able to go back to the Amazon again. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's this, you know, very telling moment of, you know, what really devastates him is this loss of this dream of his, this sort of motivating, animating, you know, dream of his. Yeah. It was a good I, mean, we, I think we should talk about the like colonialism, like white man in the jungle aspects of oh, this movie. Oh yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we're also in this high period of everyone talking about Armageddon time and like how it handles like relationships between white and black people, which like I don't want to get too bogged down in, but I just yeah. think it's a really interesting way to look at like your white Europeans like adventures in other parts of the world and how catastrophic catastrophically they have ended. And it's not yeah. it's about someone who like on the whole, like, didn't do as much damage as, like, other people. Um, right. But I think it's just really careful not to be like, look at how enlightened he was to recognize that there could be a society there. and mm-hmm. like, <laughs> Which reminds me, actually, a lot of Armageddon time, and I know that that has yeah. been received a bit divisively, but I think, I, I like the way that Grey sort of steps back from that and says, yes, this character could be seen as, like, one of the good ones, and I'm making quote, mm-hmm. quote marks mm-hmm. with my fingers for anybody who's only listening. Um, and yet that isn't sufficient. You know yeah. what I mean? That like, and the movie is aware of that, and and the characters that we're watching, we can still sort of find them complex and their and their motivations interesting and complex without having to like grind the gears for a moment of moralization do you know what i mean yeah this is kind of all at the root of why james gray has not really taken a massive hold (laughs) in the culture because like the things that he's doing i mean i haven't seen armageddon time yet i'll see it in a few days but um in the rest of his movies he's doing things that are far more delicate and nuanced and sometimes i think even in the in the case of this movie, outright avoiding those type of easy reduction things that make, you know, movies easier to talk about or rally around or, you know, reduce down to a single talking point. Yeah. Um, But it's also, like, part of why this movie's far more interesting than, I don't know, even movies like it that Charlie Hunnam has been in. I think it's, like... I imagine someone who has family who is, you know, native to the jungles of South America. Like, I can imagine seeing this and being like, oh, you're treating our culture like it's some, like, crazy, weird, exotic thing. But I think it is treating these cultures that our protagonist has no way of understanding as people and you are seeing the way that their societies work but it's not like trying to get in their heads it's not trying to make them major characters it's like Mm -hmm. depicting this part of the world that he kind of had no business being in which is part of what happens like everyone around him is like you know we we need to talk about murray and how he can't handle the amazon oh we'll get to murray whether or not don't you worry about that um (laughs) but i just it's just so it's like thoughtful in exactly the way that needs to be without getting bogged down in like how do i pay respect to the way that this works like I don't know now I feel like I'm like you know advocating for just like tourism of swooping your movie down into something but it just it just tells its story and it like tells a story about cultures meeting in a way that focuses on that and not other stuff it also walks up to the line of what maybe another movie would do where he the first expedition he goes to I believe it's a rubber plantation right and he sees Mm -hmm. that sort of like Portuguese The Portuguese land baron there, who he's clearly disgusted by. He really, like, he can't stand this guy. He hates 
the <clears throat> the the practice of slavery that is happening yeah. there, right? So like there is very much the opportunity for this movie then to be he's one of the good ones. He doesn't like slavery. And yeah. that is why we are happy to have him as our protagonist or whatever. And it's the movie still refuses to take any like to to stop taking a critical eye towards what the you know what he's bringing into the jungle in terms of just like white people's uh you know presence in the jungle but also he leaves from that meeting with the portuguese land baron with um the guide uh tajul the 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 guide who will take him down the river which again in a lesser movie it's becomes like they learn to communicate with each other and they get along and one supports the other. And that is a representative of, you know, whatever, you know, it makes us feel good and whatever. And in this movie, he guides him down the river. And then at one point they turn around and he has peace. He out. is gone. Yeah. And, and it is good that he has done that. And, and Percy sort of, you know, the one person in their, in their team is like, he abandoned us and he's like, he got us. He got us here. He got us mm-hmm. to where he needed to get us. And he doesn't need to be our, you know, mascot, essentially, for the any longer in the film that he needs to be. It's it's a movie that allows itself to be complicated and to not have very, you know, easy moralization, which I like. Well, and I didn't write down his like speech to Tom Holland at the very end where he's just like, there are things in this world we cannot know. And that is the point. And like, yeah. I think that's the attitude he has throughout the entire process, which is yeah. probably not what most of the explorers of that era had. But that's why he's the character we want to follow is that he's kind of yeah. there to figure out what he doesn't know and to go from there. So, OK, let's talk about James Murray, played by Angus McFadden. Oh my God. Who <laughs> sucks uh, what a villain. so bad. Yeah, but but who among us? What would happen if you got put on a boat in the Amazon, Joe Reed? Would you oh, do any better I than him? Go. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go. This is the thing, I is this guy clear. fancies himself this like great explorer. He's explored the Arctic and all this right. work. Did you know, by the way, the real-life James Murray, I clicked on uh, his uh, Wikipedia link and I, I read further. Did you know, after all of this happened, and he he gets, you know sent back by uh, Percy Fawcett and they think he's dead and he ends up back in England and he wants to sue them for defamation because they, they have ruined his good name or whatever. And the historical society is like, maybe not. Um, But after all of that happened the next year, he went on an exhibition to the Arctic and their boat got stuck in the frigid Arctic waters, and he and a bunch of other people abandoned their captain with food the same way that whatever that happened, and then they all died up in the Arctic. They mention that in the movie, don't they? Doesn't someone read him the report being like, there was a mutiny aboard the boat? Okay, Um, well then, sorry, I missed that part. No, I mean, like that guy. Well, like, because this is, I I guess I knew at some point this is based on a book by the same guy who wrote Killers of the Flower Moon, which will be a movie next year. Ah. Um, but I really need to read the book now because it does, like, those Wikipedia rabbit holes are, like, exactly where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The book movie. also has, um, not autofictional, but, like, the author is essentially a character in this nonfiction book huh. too, because there's a whole separate section dealing with the research of it, just like there is in Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, interesting. Too. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, 
But yeah, so Chris, you would not go to the Amazon, which is certainly what the choice that no. I would make. But I just is like watching him being like, I was hungry, man. And I'm like, yeah, I would I would be really hot and hungry and not want to be there anymore. <laughs> so I get it, dude. I think of all the really good performances in the movie, Angus McFadgen is someone who I have never seen anyone talk about being so good in this movie. That's true. And he is great in this he movie. He really is. As like just full despicable pathetic yep. uh, like uh, awful man yep. but uh cuz you know and, he's like, no good the minute like you know it's not going to end well when he convinces right. person yeah. to take him i also like angus mcfadden is like one of those guys that like you've seen in period pieces before you've seen in uh what have you he but, played like, orson I, wells in cradle will rock lest we forget oh <laughs> uh we could do an episode on that we too. should yeah um but, like, I don't think he'd ever really done anything quite like this, where he's this type of, like, pathetic villain. Uh, <laughs> Certainly, Divine Secrets of the so Yaya easy. Sisterhood did not prepare him for, <laughs> for the what Amazon. Was happen in the Amazon. <laughs> I, and I like, love that and this again, is our like... second Angus McFadden movie now because of that. Very good. Yeah. Um, just with Robert Pattinson, like the disgust that they both have for him, like they're they are so united in their hatred for this guy. Oh, um, it just helps build that bond even more. Yeah, I love a glance that just communicates this fucking guy. Like I love, yeah. I love an unspoken <laughs> this fucking guy. Well, yeah. he's obviously important to like the historical record, but the way that the movie like deals with British society of the time, like it's it's mm-hmm. really small, but like. Uh, Fawcett's going on this mission because his father has ruined the family name and like you see that in that fox hunt in the beginning which could not have been easy to produce like the, you know right. I assume this movie didn't cost a fortune and the fox hunt takes it was a, a lot, stag hunt like, right oh yeah you're right a stag hunt there's a horse that runs over a whole I know, other horse I know. five minutes <laughs> I don't know into how this they movie do this. <laughs> but like it tells you so much about like kind of the fake nonsense that these people are doing to entertain themselves in this period and right. why someone would be like I want to live real life um I just like I love the way that it just keeps coming back to society, and then you get Harry Melling at the Geographic Society and how much these people suck, but they're running yeah. the world. Um, and Murray is such a um, distillation of all of that. Well, and Murray mm-hmm. sort of is that wolf in sheep's clothing, right? It's not even like he doesn't have like sinister intentions. He's just an incredibly weak and vainglorious man. But he yeah. also presents yeah. as like the one guy who believes Percy Fawcett, so he's going to yes. join him on yeah. this. And it just becomes revealed that like, oh, you did this for your own personal glory, you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you you vain man. Um, it's that's great though. It, it, this is absolutely a movie that could have been incredibly stodgy, and moments like that are really just like there's such there's a there's a verve to this movie mm-hmm. that that comes out in moments like that, or in again the you know the scenes between Percy and Nina that don't have to be as you know charged with energy as they are and Mm -hmm. it's it's much appreciated in a movie of this sort can we also talk about the photography in this the darius Darius my god um this of all the ways that this should have found a way into the oscar conversation and i know that like the oscars have gotten worse at seeking out movies that are outside the major best picture conversation for Mm -hmm. uh craft award uh, achievement and like we're moving in the wrong direction on that unfortunately but like 
this really should have made an exception for Darius Kanji and cinematography because it really is something else to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And he's basically a James Gray guy now because he also shot Armageddon time. Yeah. I mean, I get to the end with all those torches and like I'm watching it on my like not great screen. I'm just like, oh, this is why movie theaters exist. Because like it looks, you can tell it looks good, but doesn't look yeah. the way that it's supposed to. I had my curtains fully shut. I like, I did mm. everything that I could. This is a movie right. to lose a battle with the glare of a sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like all those, even the scenes that are like in England at the beginning that are not even like the jungle scenes that are like lit totally by candlelight and just have this beautiful uh like glow to them i don't know this the the temperature in those scenes is very uh i don't know the the sort of the it's not quite like decaying stateliness but it there's something communicated there kind of the vibe though kind of yeah i mean like you think of the influences for this movie of like David Lean type of movies and mm-hmm. like there this is that but like a rotting version of it or like something covered in like ocean moss or yes, <laughs> yes. that's a it's very the state good rooms way. in the Titanic when they yeah. go and discover them. Well, I mean like as much as like the movie is a character study with like a less gilded point of view on these type of people that would like be in david lean movies like Mm. i I think you get that in the aesthetics of the movie too can we talk about we've talked about 2017 and amazon a ton Mm -hmm. on this podcast in different contexts so we don't really have to like get what have you guys covered from this year i was trying to look back and figure out what the did you just of 2017 or i meant from amazon but you're just talking about 2017 in general well, uh, yeah, what are our Amazons that we've talked about? Because I do feel like this is a subject we've returned to a few times. Because this is the Manchester by the, she- by the Sea year. That was 2016. 2016. Okay. 2017 is the year that they go to the New York Film Festival and they're like, we have Wonderstruck and Last Flag Flying mm-hmm. and Wonder Wheel. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, ugh. Yeah. None of which have we covered. But so Lost City of Zeb comes out when like they have won Oscars for Manchester by the Sea very recently. Like, you would think they would yeah. know how to release a movie, and yet... I think we talked about this a lot in the Suspiria and Life Itself episodes, which are both 2018, uh-huh. but I think we sort of, like, just, like, walked Did the down full the history. Amazon timeline. Yeah. yeah. Um, 2016, they're riding so high from that Manchester by the Sea mm-hmm. Oscar, and they've beat Netflix to the punch. They beat Netflix. And, and then they have so much... I remember when I was at uh, my old job... I think I did an article about like Amazon's 2017 is packed with auteur filmmakers and how lucky are we that we get a James Gray and we get a, um, a Jillian Robespierre movie in Landline and um, uh, a new Mike White movie in Brad Status, a new Todd Haynes movie in Wonderstruck, a new Linklater movie, a new Woody Allen movie, yeah. which, you know, and it just felt like that was the streamer that had that year, at least all the auteurs and even like uh, they had um, that movie that nobody saw the wall, the Doug Lyman directed movie, mm-hmm. but it was like, it's Lyman, you know, everybody loves Doug Lyman. That yeah. is not Aaron Taylor Johnson. Who is that? <laughs> Isn't it? I think it is Aaron Taylor Johnson. Is it Aaron Taylor Johnson? He seems like a Doug Lyman Do we Lyman have to play guy. the game again, Chris? Do we have to... <laughs> Do we have to go back? Do we have to do it again? Yes, it is Aaron Taylor Johnson. Oh, great. Um, 
And that just like, and that move that year, everything that they positioned for the end of the year flopping so hard. And I stick up for Wonderstruck and we'll do Wonderstruck on this uh, podcast at some point soon. And we'll both, I think, because Chris, you kind of like that movie too. Yeah. I, I, (laughs) while I will concede that it is my least favorite Todd Haynes movie and I don't, I think it's his most strong movie. Todd Haynes has never made a bad movie. Yeah. But I think it's just like it's it was such a such across the board kind of a flop, and then they were not able to rebound in 2018 when they also had some pretty cool auteurs with you know uh, Guadagnino's uh, Suspiria and and um, what we thought was a really nice contender in Peterloo, Michael Lee's Peterloo, and they weren't able to make it happen. Beyond the fact that, like, as I've said before, getting the nominations for Cold War that they were able to get was a real achievement that we really don't kind of talk about a Uh, lot. Kind of kicked off the trend, too, that, like, people now take it as, like, a thing. That there there will will be be a Best Director from a Foreign Language Film, Mm -hmm. Best Director nominee from a Foreign Language Film every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so Lost City of Zed gets lost in that... Amazon 2017 schedule. The release in the spring kind of was the writing on the wall. I don't think anybody really expected it to be a presence in the awards conversation that year, which is too bad. And which is sort of like the James Gray thing. Like when I think Armageddon time has, is probably his most, well, let's back it up for a second because critics, I think tried to make an Oscar case for the immigrant and it, it worked to the benefit of the Darden movie um, <laughs> where Marion Cotillard gets the surprise best actress nomination, just not for the immigrant, which to me almost feels like, and maybe it's I'm projecting because I also felt that I was being strong armed into supporting Marion Cotillard for the immigrant, but I liked uh, two days, one night. What is it? Is it uh, two, two days, days, one, one night? night right? Yeah. Yeah. I liked that movie better. And I was glad that that was what she was nominated for. But I think the push for The Immigrant was so much a reaction to Harvey Weinstein is trying to fuck with this movie the way he's fucked with so many other movies in the past. And let's not let them let's not let him do that to a James Gray movie. So there was this like groundswell of support that felt very inside baseball. But, you know, a lot of things are inside baseball. Um, But that felt like the closest that James Gray was going to get to Oscar contention until now which armageddon time has there are some avenues available to it i'm not saying it's going to happen but like this is probably the most oscar promise that he's had ever yeah it's a distributor that's backing him it's coming out in the right season like there are potentials in play um yeah and and it's interesting the focus is giving it as strong a push as it is because they have tar you know they've got their strongest contender in a long time um but they seem to have like convinced james gray to make a movie with them and they are they're putting their muscle behind it admirably original screenplay is not that competitive supporting actors got some supporting actors all over the place Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't want to get too much into it because, Chris, you haven't seen it yet. But, like, Hopkins is right in a sweet spot for what you would uh, give. I think I mentioned it on here when we talked about New York Film Festival in that, like, there there are similarities in 
the Hopkins character in this and the Judd Hirsch character in yes. Fablemans that I find very interesting. Yep. And if they both get nominated, it will be a very interesting sort of uh, thematic uh, thread. Anyone there. who had a Jewish grandfather will presumably be rejoicing if that very, happens. Yes. <laughs> um, what else do we want to talk about? We didn't talk about Tom the- Holland. We haven't. Sweet baby Tommy Holland. Well, I like Tiny, I- tiny... A uh, fake mustache baby, Tom Holland. I was so movie. shocked to realize that he had played Spider-Man already, or he was about to. No, I guess. Yeah, Civil, I don't think he had. I guess no, because I think Civil War, like the movie where he like first appears in that big air, airport fight scene, was it already we by all then? Love a fight scene on the tarmac. Um, yeah, I don't think his Spider-Man movie had come out yet. Right. Um, oh God, his IMDb is such a crazy ass mess. Um, yeah, Civil so Spider Man probably right after this. Civil War is 2016 and in the spring. So this oh, wow. this is 20 this is the following yeah. year, and then Spider Man Homecoming comes out that summer, right? I guess. So right, yeah, right. so, so wow. everyone knows he's Spider Man. Like he, he he is like doing a mini version of the Robert Pattinson thing, being like I'm a franchise guy, but I'm in this too. Um, but he's so good in this. Like he has to have that like big yelling at his dad scene, which is like can be so whiny teen, and I think he pulls it off. And then in just the in the yeah. end when he's like trying to keep up with his father, and he's like so earnest um and yeah. really lovely it made me just want he's him to also, do his non-marvel movies of the four main players in this movie he was the one who had come closest to an oscar like, oh, possibility the impossible? An oscar nomination possibility the impossible yeah because they did push him for supporting actor for the impossible he's really good in the impossible he's he really good makes me cry in the impossible when he spots his brothers oh across that little straightaway there, and he calls out to them, and I fall to pieces <laughs> at that moment. It's so good. You know I love sibling cinema, yep. and that is a <laughs> triumph of sibling cinema. Katie, have you tried to watch that movie since you've had No, kids? God, I truly don't. Don't I, make her watch that movie. I don't think I can. I'm not making anybody. I'm just asking. I'm just I asking can. questions here. But, like, yeah, again, yeah. like, watching, like, this movie now with a kid who can do things, like, you want to share things in your life with your kid, and that's all Percy Fawcett's trying to do, and it, like, goes so badly. But, like, does it go badly? Like, are, is that where they're meant to be? Like, there's just, there's yeah. really beautiful stuff there. At what, at what age are you going to start, uh, Getting the kids into Lost City of Zed, mo- like not not <laughs> not specifically Lost City of Zed, but like sort of that kind of caliber of like like what's the what's the plan to ease them into more sort of like uh, not grown up movies. Well, we've watched Back like, to the Future. Know. I sure. took Charlie to see Avatar, um, which was a blast. Um, nice. So I feel like there's like a. Sl- I mean, I watched like. Oklahoma and the Music Man when I was really little like my mom like yeah. that was just like my the movies my mom liked so those movies that we like so I, I feel like yeah. I want them to be aware that there is stuff other than just like the Netflix garbage that they choose as much as possible sure. so like whenever I can get them to do that I try um, I feel like age 12 was around when I started watching movies that I remember watching like now whereas like that's when yeah. I watched um, A Few Good Men that's when I watched The Hand That Rocks the Cradle that's when I watched <laughs> Like, you know, that mixture of, like, movies that sometimes go over your head and sometimes you shouldn't be watching them because they are, you know, too R-rated for you, but you find a way to watch them or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like that was around the time where that kind of started to happen, where I went from watching, like, kids' movies and renting, like, 
exclusively Looney Tunes yeah. videos at, at Video Factory <laughs> to sort of moving into then like watching movies yeah. was around age 12. I feel like Jurassic Park so is, a, is a big watershed we're waiting for. Like when are they ready for Jurassic Park? Because that's that, such a like that, great, kids yeah. love dinosaurs, but like they're not ready for Jurassic Park. So we'll, we're going to yeah. hold on to that one for a while. Do you watch like the Sound of Music around the holidays? And no, stuff we like should. That? I have. We've watched Wizard of Oz. Like that one has been in the rotation. Um, which I because like, nice. like, honestly, like no, we're really going on um, tangents. But like no. Charlie, who is six, like he loves catching references to things. Like if you like, we watched E. T. E. T. is another yeah. good one um, that like is kind of grown up. Totally. Um, That's definitely one I watched when I was a kid. Yeah, like, I mean it's sure. like four yeah. kids, but it's sad. But so we saw something yeah. else that included someone writing in front of a moon and. Like Charlie like got the reference. I was like, look, if you watch Wizard of Oz, you will catch references in everything you ever see. Like there is a Wizard Absolutely. of Oz reference. Everything has a Wizard of Oz reference. So it's like giving him the yeah. skeleton key of like a hundred years of movies. Uh, <laughs> so I hope, I hope so it's cool. panning out. Um, we'll have to when I finally make my uh, North Carolina trek and come visit. We'll have to. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna come watch. You'll probably be like the thing is like. You can't make a kid sit down and watch the thing when they know that Netflix exists. Like no, it's not like course. when we were kids, where it's like, well, we got four <laughs> tapes, so we're gonna watch one of them. Uh, so they'll just be like, no, uh, fuck you, I'm watching Ridley Jones or whatever yeah. it is. My my efforts to we would do that. We would. This is probably dating us a little bit, but we would go to the video store, and we had, didn't own a VCR yet. And we would rent. You'd rent a the VCR. VCR. I remember and, wow. and rent that experience. And, and my brother and I would get to rent a video and my sister would rent a video. And like the way my dad tells it, at least like we would get like a GI Joe video cassette and she would get a gem in the holograms, mm-hmm. but we would all yeah. watch them together. We would all watch gem in the holograms. Yeah. We would all watch GI Joe. And then we would, you know, like my dad would like lay a blanket on the floor in the living room and it would be sort of like indoor picnic. And we'd have our popcorn our like Jiffy pop popcorn mm-hmm. and our snacks. And then we would tucker out and whatever. And then my parents would watch whatever sort of like of the plentiful <laughs> adult thrillers. You know what I mean? Like there were so many era, like, yeah. movies for them to choose from or whatever. And and I would always, as the oldest, try an angle to like stay up and watch whatever they were watching. Mm-hmm. At like like I would have had any kind of like enjoyment of like Gene Hackman and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in class action. You know what I mean? But like, what am I going to get out of that? But like, that was what the grownups were watching. Yep. So that's what I wanted to watch. Yep. And I don't know, just I think that being the Friday night special event in our family really wired my brain for the movies mm-hmm. in a way that like, I think that's, that was a big thing that did it for me. Yeah. Was that. Yeah, 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 I just listen. I just watched. Um, uh, uh, this is also unlocking in my brain. Ari Aster doing the adventures in movie going or whatever it's called on Criterion Channel, and he talked about Friday nights being movie nights and like going to the video store and like mm-hmm. swapping videos and such like that. And that's already unlocked my brain brain because we were like a Friday night go to the video store type mm-hmm. of family. Yeah. I definitely have a photo of myself. Of because we were like blankets on the floor family watching Beethoven yep. or like uh, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and I was also a, a, the kid who, y- you'll see this in photos of me as a child, I would, like, hold the VHS of the movie that I was watching oh! like it was a stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. That's so cute. I love that. I have seen my children do such a thing. Because, like, DVDs to them are like a novelty. They're like, oh, it's it's here? Yes. It's like a physical thing that exists? Yeah. We don't have that many in the collection. It's insane. Um, but, yeah, this is this yeah. is our radicalization stories, how we, be- <laughs> we went down the dark it's path true. that we're on. I want to wrap up a couple of sort of miscellaneous for La City of Zed. It won Best Film at the Faroe Island Film Festival, a thing that I wasn't really aware of until Bergman Island last year, where uh, the the wonder of Faroe Island sort of uh, came. Definitely makes you want to go there. It does. It really does make you want to go there. Um, It's a it's a real good on the Bergman tour. (laughs) Yeah. That would have been a fun year to go to the Faroe Island Film Festival. Among others, uh, Lost City of Zed competed along with American Honey, which I loved, Hell or High Water, which I really loved, Jackie, Manchester by the Sea, Raw, which fucking rules. And like, what a great change of pace film festival movie. If like, you know, you're feeling a little draggy maybe towards the end and you need something to sort of like jolt you. See the cannibalism Uh, movie. Um, Sing Street, uh, God love uh, it, love that movie so much. Talk about a movie, a movie that deserved to get one Oscar nomination, mm-hmm. and that was for best, original best song, song, and they flubbed that so. That bad. was Weinstein's, right? Wasn't that another yep. classic like movie the Weinstein's mm-hmm. didn't care about? God, awful. And then the Salesman, of course, was also that year. Um, that's a real good lineup. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. just like. A lot of bangers in that one. What a great 2016, 2017. We, we were talking about this on text the other day. Uh, I didn't bring it up as I was because I was researching for Lost City of Zed, but I brought it up like, what's the best, best picture year mm-hmm. of the of since they expanded it? And I think 2017, the, all, all those movies are 2016 movies, which I think the, the 2016, 2017 years are really good. If 2016 didn't have Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge, Ridge, yeah. Like that anchors it down like a like a stone, but um, and then 2017, I think, even as somebody who doesn't love Phantom Thread, but I can like I can admit that like that's a me thing, not a not a you know Phantom Thread thing yeah. necessarily. What a great best and what a variety. Like is. what I love about 2017 mm-hmm. is you've got like Dunkirk and Get Out, which are these just like big ass populist hits, yep. and then you've got like Phantom Thread and Lady Bird, which make two dollars, and like Call Me by Your Name, which just like run on the power of Tumblr. Like the variety, Shape of Water <laughs> is such a weird winner out of that bunch because it's like the most mm-hmm. forgotten every year it opens that goes with by. A woman masturbating, it and it does. won Best Picture. It does. Every year that goes by, it gets it's it's uh, it stands out as such an odd. And yet, wonderful, I think, that they went so odd, but, like, uh, choice for Best Picture. The fact that, like, a, any given Best Picture year can have Guillermo del Toro, Luca Guadagnino, jo- uh, Joe Wright, Christopher Nolan, Jordan Peele, Greta Gerwig, Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven Spielberg, and Martin McDonough. Like, that is... Yeah. Just incredible! What an incredible lineup of filmmakers. That yeah, that year. that like, best well, director lineup might even be better than the best picture lineup because it's got like you know all those people yeah. you mentioned. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this was my thing that I was saying to Joe before we got on mic. Rewatching this movie, I was like, "How is this movie not in like 
my top 10 of that year and it's like oh yeah because that year is crazy yeah um it's definitely my top 10 of that year i don't i think ladybird was my number one um but same. it was probably it had to be my top five most of these i'm gonna try to find it also that year though i had a lot of those movies i had call me by your name and ladybird and the post and get out uh but like I also had BPM on my BPM oh my that god, we did that on I little Meyer with stories, as our pride flashbacks. BPM, oh, oh so good. Rewatch it movie. if you have it. What a genuinely great movie. Um, Meyer with stories had, was that uh, year. I loved Personal Shopper. Sure, yeah. Killing of a Sacred Deer, Faces, Places, Florida Project was that year. Our recent episode, Beatrice at Dinner. Yep, yep. Um, I had Mother on my top ten list, and I stand by it. Did I? Uh, Princess Sid was that year, which is an incredible movie. A ghost story. Speaking of David Lowry, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. What a great, what a great year! I really loved it. Girls Trip. Anything we want to say about Lost City of Zed before we move into the IMDb game? Don't I'm glad, so. like, the whole thing with the Amazon-ness of it all, like... By that, do you mean the studio, or do you mean the, the, <laughs> the rainforest? Because for this movie, oh, you could go yes, either way. of course, of course. Uh, I mean the studio. Okay. Um, it, you know, it, it feels like Amazon being, like, prestige producer or distributor for like this level of movie feels like a blip that has passed and like it's not really a th- they have like what do you think about year... my policeman chris <laughs> i was gonna say this year him? they have um an international feature contender or two and the documentary and my policeman mm-hmm. and it's like that's it but like for a few years they were churning out a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that maybe didn't do well or didn't have uh you know didn't make as much of a mark but like i really felt it rewatching this movie versus like when we've talked about things like love and friendship you know and such that like this is the type of movie that doesn't really otherwise get made, mm-hmm. even though this was produced independently and Amazon bought it. That, like, they're already starting to, like, be hard to get your hands on, or you're, like, wondering where they're streaming and such. Like, I'm glad that this movie will just, like, exist in perpetuity on Amazon. Oh, God, for don't. people to just catch y- up to you it. You think that. There will, there will be some way for it not to exist on Amazon. I, I, I don't well. trust those people anymore. <laughs> um it's crazy we haven't I talked. I feel like I have a physical copy of it somehow. I don't know why I would have gotten. I think it got a physical release because I, I'm like pretty I, sure that season I have it they didn't send yeah. a screener. They sent me a DVD. Oh. I wonder I yes, I think that's how I got it too then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, it's crazy to me that James Gray keeps getting funding for movies. And weird, we haven't talked about Ad Astra at all, um, which is the movie he made. Dad right. Astra. Dad Sad Astra. Dad Astra. I love, yeah. Astra I love that so movie, love even though it's Ad apparently Astra. not. It got overtaken from him by uh it was 20th century fox so disney what would like did he want to make the ending even bleaker somehow no i think they added action scenes basically or they forced him to add action scenes yeah but like that chase scene on the moon's pretty good so yeah i don't know i feel like the monkeys had to be all him I don't know. that's my guess because that's the that's the thing about that movie i'm like ad astra is incredible Maybe not the monkey scene, but 
Maybe but not also- what that movie does to Kimberly Elise. Mm. <laughs> and yet, you also get uh, surprise Natasha Lyonne yeah. as a yeah. space receptionist, yep. essentially. Like, um, God love it. Yeah, I just yep. like, I don't know why he keeps getting huge budgets to make his movies. I hope it never stops. I mean, Armageddon yep. Time obviously is a lot more modest than uh, Zed and yeah. Ad Astra, but God love James Gray for keeping his Sisyphus of. <laughs> <laughs> prestige cinema <laughs> someday it'll exactly. hit all right chris do you want to explain to our listeners what the imdb game is absolutely uh listeners every episode we end the episode with the imdb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that imdb says they are most known for if any of those titles are television voice only performances or non-acting credits we'll mention that up front after two wrong guesses we get the remaining titles release years as a clue if that's not enough it just becomes a free-for-all of hints and that is the imdb game Yes, it is. Katie, as our guest, as you know, this being your fourth time, you get the choice to either guess first or give first. And also, which direction does this round robin go? I am so bad at this when it comes to be my turn. (laughs) Um, I'm ready to give, so I will go. I will give to Chris. All right. Who do you got? Okay, so I went down the American Woman route because, as we know, I'm the only one, the person alive who has seen it. Um, and I was thinking about uh, Brad Inglesby and Mayor of Easttown, as I said. Christina Hendricks is the uh, close confidant in American Woman, but I went with Julianne Nicholson. Has she been on this nice. game before? I don't think she so. She seems like someone you guys would pick. Well, I can look. Okay. I'll look right now, but I but don't think so. But if it's not so. ringing a bell for Chris, I guess that's the only thing that matters, so... Nope. Chris. We have not. Julianne Nicholson. How much TV? None. So no Mayor of Easttown. No Mayor of Easttown, which is wild. She won a whole Emmy for that. A whole ass Emmy. Um, Well, August Osage County. Yes. Everybody on the poster is. uh, She's. I I, got to zoom in on that poster. I'm sure she's in there somewhere. She sure is. Um, Oh, she's trying to pick up Julian Roberts. There she is. Best performance in that movie. Um, She's really good in it. Yeah, I agree. I'm. There's no way Blonde is on there. God, Blonde that... is on there. How wow. crazy is that? No, She's wow. good in Blonde. Movie's... Despicable part of that movie. I still haven't seen it. I, mean, I still haven't seen it. Let it float away into the ether, it's, Joe. It could be a future so this had an Oscar buzz movie, though. I'm yeah, guessing. don't I know, watch it at this point because we may sure, have to do it. I don't know why years. we want to do an episode on it but no but we should do yeah it's gonna be the one when we do our class of 2022 that like everybody Everyone's clamors about do it, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yep um wow blonde is on there okay so what else could be there for julianne nicholson this is hard because she has like she's not a face blindness person but well and i'm so hung there. up on mayor of easttown not being there i know she did another movie called Tully. Is the other Tully there? <laughs> no, I did not know she'd done another movie called Tully. In okay. 2000. Wow. Okay, it's one uh, X. Oh, boy, why can I not remember her in other movies? Um, it's hard. She was in... Oh, goodness gracious. This Why will be I... me in a hot second. So, <laughs> And the, the movies she has been in are movies that you know about. Like, they're not okay. totally anonymous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
it's not Mayor of Easttown, but there is some other type of like murder mystery movie that I feel like spiritually I'm remembering her for being in. Ooh. It's not a murder, but there is uh, an assault. There are, there, are, there oh. are crimes associated with both of the other movies that you're looking for. That is true. Oh, okay. Don't, so. Chris, don't click on this, but I want Katie to click on this and see and see sure, uh, wow. the image now that is in my head from one of wow. you. Wait, you leaned into the word crimes. Please don't tell me she's in like crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> no, but God, isn't that the classic no. movie you guess when you can't figure out what Ooh. someone's been in? Okay, so you got your years, which are 2015 and 2017. Okay. Both of these are post. August Osage County. Yes. Crime based 2015, 2017. Mm-hmm. Is one of these like a heist movie? Mm, possibly the 2015 one is. I don't honestly remember it that well. I don't think so, though. I don't think you would call it a heist movie, yeah. but if you told me there was a heist in it, yeah. I wouldn't. Okay. Be so it's like a crime movie. Is it like a mob movie? I fully, yes. Yeah. I fully seen this movie and I don't remember yeah. specifically. Is it like a C tier mob movie? Not C tier. It certainly had Oscar buzz. You could cover it yes. on this podcast. Okay. Yes. So no nominations. No nominations. 2015. Mm hmm. There's a lot of 2015 movies. Yeah, and there's a lot of people in this who... But the main guy is somebody we would really not want to talk about. Yeah. Oh, somebody... Okay, so Johnny Depp, Black Mass. Yeah! It's Black Mass. Nicely done. All right, 2017 would not be coverable on this podcast. Right. Because it's Oscar nominated. Oscar winner. Okay. 2017. Going back to 2017. Mm, Not three billboards. Not get she, out. She totally could have been in three billboards, though. Not darkest hour. Not it is, it's it is. We have we did not mention this title as we were running down twenty seventeen. We didn't. But it does have an Oscar. It Although another an Oscar. movie that Katie and I saw together. It's true. <laughs> uh, it got three Oscar nominations and one win. One win was the win for yes. It wouldn't have been for acting. No, it, it is acting. She's in Itania. She's in Itania. I want you to click on that <laughs> link that I put in the chat, Chris, and I want you to see Julianne Nicholson in full fur regalia. In, in is Itania. she Tanya's mother? Is that she's Tanya's coach? Her coach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Itania got an editing nomination. It yeah. sure did. I, Tanya, not getting a Best Picture nomination probably happened by, like, the thinnest. Yeah, of I'm just imagining yeah. us on Oscar morning seeing that editing nomination being like, okay, I guess this well, is Well, because that's not, a, that's not a solid 10, right? Yeah, it's a 9. I no, feel like I've said it before that yeah. I, Tanya was next in line. Yeah, 100%. 100% it was. And, in fact, the fact that Call Me By Your Name got nominated and that didn't, it was probably, like... A real upset. Yeah. Well, and I, Tanya was like an outside shot at getting like costume design mm-hmm. nominations. Like mm-hmm. they were pushing the costume team. They really were on the edge to... of getting like six or seven nominations, I would yeah. say, yeah. total. It's yeah. rare they didn't yeah, get yeah, it for yeah. screenplay when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Chris, you're giving to me. 
All right, so I went into the James Gray filmography and I went into, I am sorry, a movie you don't necessarily care for, The Immigrant. Somehow, we have not done, uh, along with his eyeliner, Jeremy Renner. <laughs> along with his redacted, that I won't say, from <laughs> a thing, a project that I won't even say because I don't want to spoil it. I get the joke. All right. Um, uh, Jeremy Renner. His uh, Jeremy Renner. The problem, a lot of eyeliner app. in. No television. There's no television. No. What's his television? Well, the the uh, Hawkeye. Oh, cool. Yeah, but those things right. aren't real. No. They don't show I will say, to known for Hawkeye's probably second to WandaVision in terms of the Marvel TV wow. series that I like the best. Um, well, Haley Seinfeld's power. There you go. Um, all right. So there's got to be, I would imagine... There is an Avengers on there somewhere, and I'm going to say 2012's The Avengers. Correct. Okay. Whether there are any more, I'll put a pin in that. Um, oh, what's the title of that one? The Born Legacy. Incorrect. Dang. The temporary All those over stims for nothing. So forgotten. Kems. Kems. <laughs> Kems, not stims. Kems. What's the movie with stims? That's something else too. I know. Um. That might be like a TV show, like The Expanse or something. Um, Elizabeth Marvel, one scene of pure perfection in The Bourne Legacy, I will say. Oh, right. <laughs> yes, I do agree with you there. Um, Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner, The Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker, correct. The Town. The Town, correct. All right, both of its Oscar nominations. <clears throat> Renner... God, it'd be really funny if it was like tag. <laughs> um, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. What else? I'm gonna guess, and I'm gonna say Avengers Endgame. Incorrect. Your year, oddly enough, 2017. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 2017. We could cover it on this podcast, but mm-hmm. I would not want to. Also, a co-star with him in one of the incorrect guesses that you threw out. Very true. Oh. I'm not sure how helpful that is, though. So somebody who was in Avengers Endgame was also in yes. this? Yes. Well, that does narrow it down to half of Hollywood <laughs> instead of all of Hollywood. <laughs> it's um, the kid it's, from it Iron Man in 3. The... <laughs> it belongs his name in is the Ty oof. Simpkins, but respect on his name. <laughs> uh, the writer director of this is someone who I notedly do not care for. Oh, and, ha- and has his own little. And we've talked about in recent episodes how I don't like this person. Yeah, sport. and it's, it's currently mm-hmm. thriving just to uh, to spite. Oh, his file. it's it's yes, it's Sicario. No, it's it's but not it's Sicario. um. No, uh, but it's uh, uh, what is his name? It's that guy, though, right? It's the guy who wrote Sicario. Uh, Maybe he wrote Sicario. Yes, he did. I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Yes, he wrote. Uh, ta- uh, um, what the fuck is his name? We just talked about him like a second ago. This is where my memory is going. I generally do think I'm going to get still <laughs> Alice. Um, I'll come and so read what? Angels in America to you, sweetheart. <laughs> Um, what movie did he do in 2017? Because Hell or High Water, 
was 2016. Yeah, this is right after. Fuck. With Jeremy Renner and... We could do it on this podcast again. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Why is this not coming to me? Uh, and the star of the other Marvel show that you actually like. Actually. Oh, oh, it's... Oh, what is it called? It's the... Um, There's no the. No, it's Wind River. It's Wind, Wind River. 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 Not Frozen yes. River, the most Leo one. Uh, <laughs> where I get confused. Honestly, Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen, and I've never seen Wind River, but like, I sound like a sap when I say this, but like, Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch's friendship in the Avengers movies is like one of my favorite things about the Avengers movies, and nobody else values it as much as I do, and it's kind of a bummer. Um, it's the reason why I love, it's maybe the biggest reason why I love Avengers Age of Ultron so much more than everybody else, because uh, <laughs> it very much values their relationship okay um that's everything right i got them all yeah mm-hmm. wind river what a weird thing to be on jeremy runners known for it's really weird all right katie okay i went back to james gray's directorial debut feature debut uh little odessa which is a movie i've not seen but starred uh tim roth among others but the one of the co-stars in that movie was one Moira Kelly. Oh, boy. So I'm going to ask what Moira Kelly's known for. She has one television show and one voice performance. This may be a complete disaster for me because I'm sitting here being like Moira Kelly. I know I've seen her and stuff, but I don't, I truly don't know where to start. I just pulled it up and this known for is nuts. <laughs> Joe, what have I you done to me? I think this is gettable. I think this is gettable. I can pick another one for you if you want, but I will say... It's totally gettable, but, like, I didn't know that about the voice credit, and okay. now... Really? Can I Google... I didn't know that! Can I Google I her face? I'm just gonna... I, like, I'm not yeah. gonna look on IMDb. No, just look at... Yes, I'm Google just gonna, her face. like, figure out who she is. Yes. Oh, boy. I don't know, Joe. I don't know if I'm getting right. this. I, I might right. have to ask for... <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you. I thought Julian uh, Nicholson was too hard. All right, Moira Kelly's pretty hard. James Graham. All right. All right. Now I'm gonna look up what the hell she's been in. She's on One Tree Hill. Never would have gotten. She's that. Nala. She's the voice of Nala she's in The Lion the King. Voice of she's... Nala in The Lion King. You Moira not Kelly responding to Moira only. Kelly's name immediately with the cutting edge probably was the, the clue that you weren't going to be able to get that. Okay. All right. That's fine. Um, was she on actual Twin Peaks or is she just in Firewalk with me? She's just in No, Firewalk she's a recast of Lara Flynn uh-huh. Boyle. Yeah, and I've seen Twin Peaks, but not that movie. So, Oh, she was on The West Wing. That's where. That's where. The f- the only the first season. Then she was exiled yeah. forever because nobody liked her character. I remember her now. Okay. Uh, hold on. She's still working. She's in something called okay. My Southern Family Christmas. Okay. This is somebody who we did in one of our very earliest ones, but since Chris has opened the door for us to redo those ones, well, uh, I'm going to pass it there. to you as well. Um, you are going to get one of the stars of Ad Astra, the aforementioned Ad Astra, Mr. Tommy Lee Jones. <gasps> of Thomas. Lincoln, which we've been texting about all the time. Indeed, the very same. Um. Well, I'm going to start with Lincoln. Correct. Okay. Did I ask for a better one? This is going to, I hope this, if this isn't too easy, I'm going to feel really embarrassed. You just like, you're like, oh, this dummy couldn't get anything. Uh, I'm going to guess The Fugitive. Correct. Okay. I'm going to guess Men in Black. No, surprisingly, ah, no. Okay. Now it's getting more interesting. 
Um, I'm not thinking of the movie he's in that I saw the trailer for before Titanic a million times, which I don't think is going to be on there. Is that U.S. Marshals? Har- oh, yes. But it's not Hard Rain, which is the one I always remain take it for because I think there's all these shots of them in the rain in U.S. Marshals. Yeah. Is he the guy in Hard Rain? Opposite Hard Morgan Rain, Freeman? I thought, was Morgan Freeman. No, I think it's like Morgan Freeman and Christian Slater. Maybe. Or Gary Sinise. It is Christian maybe? Slater. Yeah. It's Christian Slater. But both You're of right. those trailers played before Titanic. Um, But I probably, yeah. I'm going to guess U.S. Marshals. Uh, incorrect, okay. not U.S. Marshals. Okay. So that's two strikes. Okay. So your missing years are tw- uh, 2007 and 2014. Oh, 2007 is in the Valley of Ella. It is not, in fact. Weird. He got an Oscar Even though that was his that. Oscar nomination. Oh, oh, but it's No Country for Old Men. It is No Country for Old Men. Um, and you yes. said 2014. Best performance in that movie. He's so good in that movie. Um, I, I'm going to go and make sure that this didn't get actually released in 2015, but uh, it's oh. listed as 2014. Hold on. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was, and I can't say why. That probably means it's not I what I was going to guess, later. which was uh, Hope Springs, the movie with the therapy movie with Meryl <laughs> Streep. I can't remember if that was I'm Hope Springs. <laughs> um, yes, it did get released in 2014 in the States as well. Yes. Yeah. Huh. It's not an Astro, but it's something that would be like festival-y... It is something um, that was festivaly, and it's not like the three burials of blah 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 because that was weird. No, but follow that path. Oh, down. did Tommy Lee Jones direct this movie? Okay, perhaps a Tommy Lee Jones directed movie in 2014. Is it like a westerny kind of vibe? It is. Oh, is it the Homesman? The Homesman. Another movie we've talked a lot about. Have you never covered that movie? Jones. The Homesman. That's that's a good movie. Better than I thought it was going to be. I was not expecting to enjoy that movie at all when I saw it. And I liked it better than I thought. That was such a like end of Oscar season being like, am I ever going to get to this? I don't know why I got to it. But I liked it. In the great pantheon of just hilarious Hillary Swank (laughs) character names to go along with (laughs) Betty Ann Waters. Um... Second to Betty Ann Waters is her playing Mary B. Cuddy in The Homesman. <laughs> like, just perfect. I think Tommy Absolutely Lee Jones perfect. just calls her Cuddy the entire time as like a <laughs> sign of respect. Really true. Can uh, I say I... In Alaska Daily. I want to see if it's insane in that. There, no. are, there are billboards for Alaska Daily here Everywhere. in Durham. We wow. never get billboards like that. I have no Amazing. idea why. Amazing. Yeah. Eileen Fitzgerald. That... That's that's more that's more normcore, I feel like, for yeah. for Hillary. Yeah. My my uh certain type of brain damage is that I knew that that movie did open in twenty fourteen because I am positive she was on the Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable for the Holmesman. Wow. That makes sense. That makes sense. Let me t- uh, listen because I do have a uh, Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable uh, spreadsheet. Let me open the spreadsheet. While you do, I just want to say for the listeners listening, if you were playing along, Moira Kelly is known for are <laughs> the cutting edge Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, where she did play Donna Hayward, recast from Lara Flynn Boyle. She was the voice of Nala in The Lion King, and she played Karen on the WB, the CW's One Tree Hill for eight bajillion years. See, I could have to- like, tortured myself over One Tree Hill and never Well, One Tree Hill, I would have it. just said, was set in your neck of the woods and mm-hmm. uh, and filmed there, I would imagine. Dawson's Creek certainly was. 
Uh, yes. Yeah, I think One Tree Hill was. I think I went to a set visit in Wilmington, um, and they had like a like One Tree Hill had just wrapped, and you could like see all the uh, nice the remnants of it. Uh, Lost City of Z. I finally found it. it. Was number four on my top ten of twenty seventeen. What were your top three? What, uh, what Lady Bird, Call Me by Your Name, Dunkirk, Lost City of Z, and then Get Out. What a great top four. Yeah. Then BPM oh. was six. Uh, God, what a great year. Oh, I put Stronger as number 10. I don't know if I would stand by that. Stronger? I like huh. Stronger. Uh, but I stronger know. was the boxing one or the 9-11? Or the Boston Marathon <laughs> The Boston one, Marathon right? one. Boston Marathon. Uh, Southpaw. What was the is, boxing is Southpaw one? Southpaw the boxing one? Yes. Yes. Rachel McAdams. Yeah, I never saw that one. So Hillary Swank was on that Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable for the Holmes Men, along with Amy Adams. But this is not the one where... They talk about people like us. This no, is that's the, 20 That was the second time that Hillary Swank and Amy Adams shared a Hollywood Reporter Act. Wait, what was Amy Adams, Adams on for 2014? Is that I Big Eyes? Think Trouble with the Curve. Trouble with the Curve? Wow. Yeah, Big Eyes was 2015, and American Hustle was 2013, yeah. so sandwiched in between those two was Trouble with the Curve. Let me look. Yeah, she, she would have been for no. best. No, she's act- there for Big Eyes. Big Eyes. Big Eyes is, is twenty fourteen. Oh, Big Eyes is twenty fourteen. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. And yeah, she did nothing in twenty fifteen. Okay. And came back with a rival. Worth the wait. Very much worth the wait. All right, Katie. Once again, we just love having you back on I here. It is am delighted. Uh, it is like mashed potatoes and gravy and pumpkin pie. <laughs> it is our our favorite Thanksgiving tradition is having Katie on our podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you this time here next year. So uh, about Everest, I guess. Uh, and, listen, yeah. <laughs> right around actual Thanksgiving, we have to plug this. We will be recording. The three of us are going on screen drafts oh, to yeah. talk about oh yeah. best picture follow up films. Yeah, which will be on screen drafts in December at some yeah, point. Yeah, if you so wonder, keep your ears peeled. If you wondered why we didn't talk about Lawrence of Arabia while talking about movies about white men venturing <laughs> in places where they don't belong, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to keep our uh, our opinions fresh on all of these things, <laughs> which is why I wasn't able to talk about Myrna Loy on text with you guys last night, even though <laughs> because in two separate threads with Joe, I was like, we can't don't talk about talk it. to me about Myrna Loy. We have a strong Loy band for a couple more weeks. <laughs> All right. Uh, listeners, that's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Katie Rich, where can the listeners, where of the plentiful places online can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, I'm on Twitter, which I guess is controversial now, but uh, I'm on Twitter until something else Listen. happens. So. Yeah. I've been trampled into the dust. You can scrape me off of the ground oh. and, and deposit oh. me wherever else everybody ends up oh, after this. Pr- like, pr- whatever. Much. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be in that basket with you. So I'm at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, and I'm on the Little Gold Men podcast at Vanity Fair and on Fighting in the War Room also. Um, which Fighting is, in the War Room. Which is where I do top tens. I had to go to fightinginthewarroom.com to find my 2017 top ten. So, um, nice. Yeah. What was your latest quarter quell at uh, Fighting in the War Room? Well, I always love I think those. it was a live show. Um, oh, which I... Uh, which I uh, watched all of. I think I was that you streamed it, right? Yeah, it was the, the live stream. Um, yeah, it was really fun. We had- I was on that one, and I was scoping out the cute listeners that you have. Oh, and texting yeah. You about them. <laughs> um, we had such. Yeah, that one was really fun. So hopefully, yeah. we'll do that again soon. All right, Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris V File. That's F E I L. I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R E I D. 
We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and the great Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So get out of the water. There's piranha in there. We didn't talk about that. And uh, instead, write us up a nice review. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.